it's time to turn out the lights, grab some popcorn, and watch some horrible horror movies. This is the Terrible Terror Podcast. Each week, I delve into the world of terrible horror movies. Why do I do it? Well, I can't really explain it, but I love these horrible movies. If you made a horror movie on your phone, or made your own special effects MacGyver style, please send it my way. Now, what do you get when you mix one of the greatest sci-fi stories of all time, body dysmorphia, and milk bears? Why, you get Akira. and welcome to another episode of the Terrible Terror Podcast and welcome to the last episode of Anime Month, at least for now. Um, We may come back to some other movies, who knows? I'll figure something out, what I want to do later, but honestly, this has been a month of something different for me. Uh, Even though it kind of fits within the mold of everything that I've talked about and it's really been kind of a nostalgic trip back And we'll get away from the nostalgia in just a little while and do something brand new for the next uh, couple episodes. So, But this is something that I really wanted to speak about, especially when we first talked, well, I came up with the idea of doing heavy metal. And I know I've talked about the same thing again and again and again, but who knows when you're starting this. If you're a regular listener, I'm sorry, I'm repeating myself. (laughs) If you're not, welcome. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the episode on Akira. But it's... This is such a weird film. Because I feel though, like, I've seen it... God, I don't know how many times. I still feel like I don't understand parts of it. Like, it just has a lot that's going for it. And watching that one YouTube video that I tweeted out... uh, Had me gain more respect for it. And really, like I said, fall in love with it all over again. And really is another reason why I wanted to do the um, movie for this podcast. And just kind of allow me to talk about, you know, Akira in general. But go through the whole story and still be fucking confused as ever when you finish the goddamn movie. Because in all honesty, this is one of the most weird fucked up stories that you're ever going to see. And it's weird that this became such a hit. It's not even really a cult classic. This is the movie that is basically charged with bringing anime into the mainstream in United States culture. And it came out in 1988. Now, anime movies have been around for quite a while. You know, there's been a bunch that have been out there. And uh, everybody has their fans. I mean, from Astro Boy on up, you really have, you know, people were watching Speed Racer back in the day. But it wasn't something that became so ingrained in the culture of American 
movie watching or just cinema in general. This is that film that truly was that like breakout special that no one really expected and the fact that it got a theatrical release in 88 maybe it wasn't a whole lot of theaters but it got one like that was unheard of at that time and it's really still unheard of now when you go out and there's an anime movie that's released in theaters it's usually some type of like a fathom events thing where you have to go and it's on a wednesday at 4 20 and you need to show up 20 minutes early because you're not gonna get a seat anywhere in the theater because it's super packed or you happen to be in hawaii and you can see the movie at one o'clock for some fucking reason instead of having to wait to the awkward hours here but you know what <laughs> that's the joy for you but that's the way these movies come out i really don't remember the last film that I saw that was a huge theatrical release. And I'm not just talking like, you know, like I said, like a Fathom event type thing. I'm talking about like, I specifically went to the theater and I want to say it might have been Howl's Moving Castle or, or maybe even Spirit of Away. No, Spirit Away came first uh, before that. But, you know, I know Miyazaki's films tend to get a lot of love and they end up in the theaters. Um, but you really don't see a lot of the other films like make it out there so again for this time this was a very odd film to come out and yes it is based on a manga uh that which was weird i believe that the manga wasn't quite finished while they were doing the movie so the endings are similar yet they're different and it's a lot more fleshed out of course if you go read the manga it's multiple volumes uh, and this is two hours and four minutes long. Jesus Christ. This is a long fucking anime. I always forget how long this was. And now imagine that when it was on like TNT or TBS or, you know, when it was in that block of films and you sat there and you watched Vampire Hunter D and you're like, oh, okay, that's not too bad. And then Akira came on. And then with commercials, you're watching a three hour fucking movie. I mean, it's nuts, but you're sitting down, you're watching it because it's so fucking nuts outside of it being three hours fucking long. And yes, things probably got cut from it, but Akira is one of those movies where, as a kid, I only remembered certain parts. Like, I only remembered the bear scene, I only remember the ending, but a lot of the stuff in the beginning and a lot of stuff in between, it still was like, huh, either, I don't know, maybe it didn't stick with me, or those scenes were so fucked up that I totally remembered these scenes. Now, granted, this is... I don't even want to say it's an acquired taste. Uh, because part, yes, I think it is. And part, yes, or, or just say, no, I don't think it is. I think anybody could take up this film and watch it. Uh, the major major thing that i want to get across is that you should be seeing this movie before you listen to this podcast and the reason that you should be seeing this before listening to it and i know some people they're like huh i'm not really into anime and i just don't get it and i you know i'm just gonna listen to this that's fine but really take some time at least see a couple of clips because what you're missing is when you're listening to this versus watching the film and though we're going to go over major pop points and we're going to go through the whole thing and you know i'm going to do all my little commentaries and bullshit like that is you're missing the beautiful animation that's in this film that nearly everything is fucking hand-drawn 
and it still holds up. And, you know, I had said something like this earlier, but watching this uh, is like poetry in motion. And, and I hate that, like, cliche of a phrase. I really hate it, but it truly is beautiful. It's absolutely amazing that, like, to think that somebody spent this time and did this frame by frame. The fact that there's one scene that's later in the movie when Tetsuo loses his arm and he has to make himself a new mechanical arm and you see all the threads and everything forming, the tendons and the muscle out of all the, the rubble and electrical work and metal and it's all coming into one hand and you look at that. If you just go out there and you just watch that one little scene and then you know that that was animated by hand. It's fucking amazing. It is beautiful. This film has been restored multiple times. And the 30th anniversary was last year in 2018. And they did a really great Blu-ray restoration of the film. And you should be seeing that version of the film. Unlike Vampire Hunter D, they didn't change the voices. It has... Or it's... You know, the, the Vampire Hunter D one seems a little off. They did change some of it, made it a little more modern from the 88. But for the Akira release, it's still the same voice actors. Nobody's redoing the voices. It's not being redubbed. It is purely like it was before. But it seems like the color restoration of the film is absolutely amazing. It is beautiful to look at. It is fun to watch. It is just... Like, it's a reason, like, why I guess I can say that I love anime the way I love it. Uh, and it really does kind of stem from this film. There's a lot of other stuff that's out there, and I've talked about it multiple times. And, you know, from things from Transformers to Robotech to Tenchi Muyo to Evangelion to uh, Dragon Ball Z and Dragon Ball. All of these different types of anime shaped the way that I grew up watching cartoons. And there's a lot of cartoons that shape the way that I grew up watching TV. You know, The Simpsons being the biggest influence for me ever in terms of what I like in terms of comedy, what I like in terms of, you know, uh, animated shows versus live action. I don't know why I always tend to go like, oh, there's new animated comedy on? Let me watch that. Oh, there's new sitcom? Uh. I don't know. Even though I loved some sitcoms growing up, I mean, Married with Children is like my favorite thing, one of my favorite things ever. Uh, but I just can't do it. Like, I can't do the sitcom thing. But you put on some random animated series. Oh, there's something called Rick and Morty on. Oh, let's give it a try. Oh, this is one of the best things ever. It, I'll do that. <laughs> and even shitty animated series like Brickleberry, I'll stick with and, and prefer to watch it <laughs> versus something that's new and that's hot, you know, or that's uh, that a lot of people like. And every once in a while, there's a show that grabs me and I'll watch it or whatever. But when it came to, like, I guess, adult-style animated movies, these three were the ones that really showed me at a very young age that... You can do movies without it being super cutesy. It doesn't have to be some type of family-friendly, Disney-fied. You know, not saying that I don't love Disney movies. I, I fucking love Aladdin. Anybody that really knows me knows that's probably my favorite fucking Disney movie of all time. 
And I'm not like just like, oh, I'm going to say it. No, I fucking love Aladdin, okay? I'm really upset about the live action one that's coming up. Uh, and it's not like it's the Lion King where it still looks like the fucking Lion King. Even though you got new voices, it's not fucking live action. It's Okay, I'm going to break away from that. But anyway... It doesn't have to be these. I mean, you know what? And that's probably why I drew myself to The Black Cauldron. A lot of people don't like that Disney film. I fucking love it. And I love it because it's dark. It may be poor in quality. I don't know. I like the munchies and crunchies. What can I say? But it's still like these films, specifically these three, showed me that, hey, there's other types of animation out there. And it doesn't have to be just for children all the time. And, you know, there's also other ones out there, like the Hobbit films. Uh, both The Return of the King and The Hobbit uh, are very, very good. They're Rankin-Bass type of films. And they're not, like, kiddified or anything like that. But they're a little more adult. And there's also, like, The Last Unicorn, which, you know, bridges the gap in between the two. But really, Akira is something different. Heavy metal is a thing all on its fucking own, Okay. Vampire Hunter D is a great, like, mix sci-fi horror. This, it's sci-fi, it's post-apocalyptic, it's body horror, it's it's a little bit of everything. You know, it's something that I just, it was one of those things where I wasn't sure I liked it as a kid and I've grown to really love it as an adult, uh, And but I remember always being drawn to it, like, why is this going on? Or I'd always come in at one specific scene in the movie. Or, you know, it's another thing like Vampire Hunter D or Heavy Metal. Once you started, I just can't fucking stop. And I gotta watch the whole fucking movie. And I remember a couple years back when I found out that Netflix had it. And I sat and I watched it. My wife watched it with me for the first time. And she was like, what the fuck are we watching? I'm like, we're watching Akira. No, no, no. Really. What the fuck are we watching? There's fucking bears. There's like bodies going over the... What the fuck is this? And like, it's it's Akira. That's the only thing I can say. But I still feel that it's kind of an, a confusing mess only because they had to cram so much into so little time. And they spent a lot of time like preparing everything. I think that might be the best way to do it. Like kind of bringing you into the story. Whereas when shit finally starts going down, I feel like it goes way too fast. But then I realized maybe that was because of the cuts. Like I said earlier, when you were watching it on TV. Because watching it again, like this time and a couple years ago, it was really like, huh, this movie should have ended a while ago. Why is there still more crap going on? Um, wow, it's two hours long. <laughs> you know, it's just fucking crazy like that. So... I don't really have a whole lot of trivia on this one or, or anything there. I kind of just wanted to talk a little more. The only thing I can say is that the lead actor in this film, uh, at least for the English dub, and yes, it is an English dub once again, uh, because I can't do a Japanese dub or a Japanese language version of it because you won't uh, really understand it. You won't know what's going on. And nothing like something in Japanese popping up. You know, maybe you'll understand like Bakayaro or something like that. But you won't necessarily understand what the hell is going on if I did. But the main guy that does Canada 
is Jimmy Fenders, and Jimmy Fenders is best known for his voice work as the original Leonardo on the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, cartoon way back in the day, as well as playing Liquid Snake in the Solid uh, Metal Gear Solid series of games. Uh, that was my immediate connection to the film, was like, oh shit, it's Leonardo. Um, again, it's another one of those situations where the way that the mouthing is really animated in this film, because it's very <laughs> large is kind of the weird word to use, but it's very expressive, and it's very expressive in Japanese. The dub does those things like you see in a lot of older dubs, like I explained with Vampire Hunter D., uh, but it's definitely <laughs> a lot more apparent here where they extend things or they say things a little weird. Um, you'll hear it in the audio, especially when Kaneda and Tetsuo are yelling at each other and you hear, Kaneda! Like, he's saying it in a way so that it matches the mouthing quite right, but it sounds really fucking weird in your, like, your ears. So... Note that this is, of course, the 1988 dub, so you have 1988 voice actors, which there are a lot that do a really good job, and this film, there are some very, like, it is really good. It still holds up for the most part, but there's some weird parts because they're doing those, like, lengthening or they're making weird noises because maybe they're saying something in Japanese or it's like it doesn't have a direct translation over here uh well in english i should say over here yeah because everybody listening to this podcast from fucking united states right <laughs> that's the good old us of a and me talking but <laughs> but everybody who speaks american in this film uh <laughs> is uh you know they're just it it doesn't necessarily translate well from japanese over into english so you have some weird noises that get made that are like filler. And if you watch the subtitle version of the film, then you may get an actual type of like thing. Maybe there won't be noise. Or sometimes, you know what? It's noises and they're just fucking trying to figure out how to copy that noise. In terms of the other voice actors that are actually involved in the film, we have Barbara Larson coming back from Vampire Hunter D. Uh, this time she's voicing Kaori. Uh... It, which is a very small role in the film. You've also got Stanley Gerd Jr., who is voicing uh, Tetsuo in the film. Uh, he is best known for, actually, it's funny, the Leisure Suit Larry video games that came out. Uh, but he's done voices in Toy Story 3, Wally, Up, uh, and a couple other, but he's best known for Tetsuo and Akira. Uh, Deanna Morris is also, the, she's here, the voice of Kay. And she's not so well known, but she did voice uh, two characters in the Metal Gear Solid series uh, as well. I think Metal Gear Solid 2, Metal Gear Solid 4. And then you've got Anthony uh, Mosdy, who uh, plays the Colonel. And he's known for this as well as, you know, he, he did a lot of dubs back in the day. Uh, he was part of the Big O. He was in uh, Hello Kitty. Uh, he also did some East stuff. If you've ever played the East games, but these are the, this was the East OVA, which was a very good one, um, and actually was a story bridge between one of the two games. And he was also actually in the Powerpuff Girls in the episode K A R R or Car. Uh, so, and it's uh, 
He also did Goofy in a couple of things as well. And funny enough, in the original Kingdom Hearts, he did Geppetto. So, you recognize the voice, at least I recognized him right away. And he's been in a bunch of other little roles here and there. But this was probably, seemed like, in terms of his film roles, one of his larger roles that were out there. And there's a lot of other different voice actors that were in the film. Uh, and it's... Again, it's a very good voice cast, uh, in my opinion. It's for 1988. That was kind of the time frame where things were very, very odd. <laughs> Nothing really quite matched up. But I really felt that the voice cast in this film did a really good job. And especially, like, doing some of the more emotional scenes. But, of course, what everybody always remembers is the, the interaction between Tetsuo and Kaneda at the end of the film when they're, like, calling out to each other, Tetsuo! Kaneda! Tetsuo! Kaneda! Like, that's what I always remember when you go through these fucking films. So, let's go ahead and begin with Akira. Now, this, of course, is one of those films that dates itself whenever you watch it, because the year is 1988, and World War III has happened, and now we've actually going 31 years into the future, or 30 years in the future, no, 31 years in the future, to 2019, uh, where Neo-Tokyo has been rebuilt, and there was something that happened, and they're going to do a, an Olympics in the next year on a site that, that is really funny, because I think Tokyo was actually getting the Olympics soon, that that is really fucking weird. Um, we may be having some type of uh, Bing Bang type of event that's going to be happening over there in Tokyo next year. Or in Japan, I should say. But Neo-Tokyo is not built. It has a parliament and it also has the military. Uh, and we see that it's been overrun now with like hooligans and biker gangs. It's not as safe as it used to be. It is a definitely cyberpunk world, and this film kind of really developed Japanese cyberpunk. So, in, and if you don't know what cyberpunk is, just go look it up, okay? So, it's, uh, <laughs> we focus in on a bar, and we see this guy walk in and sit down at the counter, and he asks for something to drink. Also, in other news tonight, groups of unemployed workers who have grown in number due to tax reforms enacted by the former Prime Minister are rising all across the country. And confusion among members of the Parliament, sparked by the comments of Finance Minister Takanashi during a recent Parliament inquiry, there seems to be no compromise in sight between the government and opposition. Hey there, call it. Give me some. Three peanuts. Let's see. Now, uh... The clown bastards are herded out on route number five. Damn it, don't scare me like that. Open that damn door quietly. You know, you wouldn't be so jumpy if you didn't have anything to hide. Why don't you sell normal drinks for a chip? How about buying something for once? This ain't a hangout for damn street gangs. Yeah, right. Drink your dog piss? So that was Canada at the jukebox. And it's quite amazing because they're ready to basically play CDs. And I guess maybe this was about the start. That CDs were kind of coming into fashion at that time. Uh, or it was just the fact that they were doing some type of different type of disc 
to be like, ooh, this isn't records or this isn't whatever you'd get in a normal jukebox. They're weird future discs, but they're basically CDs that are sitting in there. Uh, and then you got Yamagata as the guy that busts inside, and they're both part of the capsule gang. And you don't really get told that. He just has a giant capsule on the back of his shirt. Well, I guess you could actually call it his jacket, because it actually is in the back of his jacket, not on the back of his shirt. And that's what... Kaneda wears whenever they go out biking, I guess, to go wreak havoc. So they go outside and they go to basically chase down the clown bicycle gang. And we see Tetsuo sitting in the alleyway and he's admiring Kaneda's bike. Kaneda and Yamagata, they come out of the bar and basically Kaneda tells Tetsuo that he wouldn't be able to handle a beast like that. And so they drive off and they chase after the clowns. Now the clowns, they are introduced like relatively quickly after this. We get a high speed type of chase. They run into a guy's car and completely fucking destroy it. And the poor salary man just gets his car really fucked up. I mean, they drive over on top of it. They basically just blow it up. And there's some really cool use of light in the beginning of this film that I really enjoyed. And basically when you look at the back of the bikes, as they're driving away, you see like the brake lights and the, you know, night lights that you have at the back. I guess if you call it the light, just the fucking lights in the back of the car, right? Well, they leave like these little streaks whenever they drive away. And it just gives this like look of speed when they go off because it basically lays like stays in one point and then it travels with them as they drive off the scene. And it happens a couple times, but this is the only time that you really get it in the beginning of the film. So they basically go after them and it looks really brutal whenever they attack one of the clowns or when the clown guys attack them. There's a game of chicken between Kaneda and the leader there where the leader of the clowns, he ends up falling off his bike as Kaneda races past him and that's where all of a sudden the cops show up because they found out that there were these street hooligans in the area and began chasing them. While everybody tries to escape from the cops, we cut over and we see that there's a man running away from the military and he's bringing a small child with him. Now the child looks a little weird because he's kind of like blue toned in skin and looks a lot older than he should. Uh, but he is being held by the guy. Well, not being held. It seems like he's being held captive, but he's not really. He's kind of running away with the guy, and the police are chasing him. And the police have injured, injured the guy that they're going after. Uh, eventually, they get cornered. There's actually this really brutal scene that it's... I don't know. I want to say it's hard to watch, but I know that when it comes to like a live-action film, you don't necessarily show it, but when it comes to an animated film, you can shoot dogs in the fucking face all the fuck you want. Because that's exactly what they do. Like, they have the dogs chase after the two, and they release the hounds, and then they're like, oh, the hounds are coming after us, we're running. He turns around, he pulls a gun out of his pocket, and shoots one of the dogs point blank in the head in front of another kid inside of a car. The blood just goes everywhere over the windshield. You actually see the dog take the bullet to the fucking face. And then the other dog jumps at him and he shoots that dog in the fucking face. It's like, no, we're not just going to do it to one fucking dog. We're going to do it to two fucking dogs. So they're chasing them and eventually they do get cornered and we get to meet Kay for the first time. We don't really get to meet her. We see that she's in the crowd. She looks on the guy and she's like, oh no. And then she looks back and we also get to meet Ryu for the first time. Which is one of the resistance leaders that was trying to take this kid out of the custody of the military. So he basically gets shot once and he's like sitting there bleeding. He's like, run, just get the fuck away. 
and then he raises his gun up and the military just fills him full of bullets and you get to watch everyone enter the guy's body not like totally like oh close up we're watching it like go through of course you can't see what i'm doing over here because it's the fucking podcast but believe me it's sexy but you can't see the bullets go through uh you just see him like he gets hit and then the blood splatters out the back and he's just lying there in the pool of blood and the kid runs away we cut back and we see that tetsuo is chasing after those bikers and one of them has been uh basically he kills himself or he crashes i'd like to think that he just kills himself because he's a fucking idiot and as they're going away uh Tetsuo smacks the biker in the face with a crowbar and it's fucking brutal when you see him hit him and he's all excited he's like yeah I fucking did it all right I beat the shit out of somebody with a crowbar uh I guess no I don't think I'd be that excited either but I guess you can be that excited when you do it for the very first time you always remember your first crowbar to the face (sighs) Anyway, so he looks over and he sees the kid right now that has a 26 on his hand that he's holding up and he almost crashes into the kid while in fact the bike just fucking blows up before it gets him. We see that Tetsuo is there laying on the road and he is in a lot of pain and he speaks out to the young kid. Why you... what'd you do? You weird little... Tetsuo, just hang on. Uh, what? Uh, what did you say? That kid. Uh, uh, He's really hurt bad. Hey! You there! We gotta get him to a hospital. He needs an ambulance. We can't move him. We're here to take you back with us. You know we can't survive outside. We all belong at home. Well, come along. Okay, so what happens in the scene is you see the army helicopters come down and surround all the kids. Kanida and the rest of the gang come over and see that Tetsuo is really hurt. And that's when the helicopters randomly show up. And then all of a sudden, some kid in like this weird hovering dome comes down. And it's like, who the fuck is this? Is this the original fucking boss baby that we got over here? Is Alec Baldwin's gonna start fucking speaking out of his mouth? But no, then I had to remember this is 1988 and the boss baby is a piece of crap. And so he would never be allowed to be in charge of anybody with any type of psychic powers. Well, he's, he's a piece of crap in different ways, but I don't think he has any psychic powers. But so boss baby here, he comes over and he basically tells the other kid, hey, look, There's nothing that you can do. Why the fuck did you run away? We're better with the fucking military. And we gotta buy it our time. And then we'll be able to go fucking out. So come along with me. The kid goes reluctantly. And they decide that they're gonna take uh, Tetsuo with them as well. 
because he's injured and he got injured by this guy number 26 that basically blew up the bike with his mind. This is also where we meet the colonel for the very first time where he gives the orders of basically taking everybody with him. Kiss the ground! Hands on your heads! We're uh, innocent bystanders, that's all. Kiss the ground! Hands on your heads! Soldier! Sir! Who are those kids? They seem to be an ordinary bike gang, sir. We're returning. Don't bend that way, you loser! Hold the wounded onto the helicopter! Tetsuo! Hey, wait! You can't take him away like that! Kaneda! What the hell are you guys doing? We didn't do anything to deserve this! So, there are a couple of noises that you hear in that clip. Uh, the first one is a thud on the ground, and the second one is Kaneda getting fucking gut-checked. And the first one was Kaneda's face being thrown into the fucking ground. Like, he raised his neck, and he's like, hey, you know, don't touch him, and then, boom. He's fucking, like, right into the fucking concrete. And that would start the Kaneda gets beat the fuck up counter in this movie, because he constantly is getting beat the fuck up throughout this movie. Like... Whenever they get a chance to kick the shit out of Kaneda, they fucking do it. They do it here. He does it when he tries to save Tetsuo. Tetsuo does it to him. Spoiler alert. Uh, but everybody's always seemed like gut punching him or throwing him into things or shoving him underwater. Or it's just a fucking running theme that Kaneda, even though he's like the leader of this gang, he's like the bitch of the movie. He keeps getting his ass fucking kicked no matter what situation that he's in, but he always kind of plays it cool and he's like one of the best characters in the whole fucking film. So they get kidnapped by the military and were, well, I wouldn't say kidnapped, but detained by the military. And they begin to get interrogated by the people that think that they might have something to do with the resistance. Uh, All right. The story is you and your friends went out at night on your bikes to visit your dying mother, and then another bunch of other biker hooligans called the clowns attacked you. They hurt your friend, you lost your temper, and that's why eight of these clowns, your attackers, are all now in the hospital. And that is the truth. Ooh. She's your hot. Hmm? This oh. is confidential! And how's your mother doing? Huh? <clears throat> Fortunately, the worst is over. She cleared the hump. She cleared the hump, huh? What next, a triathlon? Uh huh? <laughs> ah, these bozos couldn't have anything to do with it. That goes without saying. Wait out on that bench. Do you understand? All right, send in the next five. So, the army's working with the police. To hunt down anti-government groups, or so it seems. Yeah, that's it. So the girl that's in the picture that he checks out while he's get, being interrogated because he's just a fucking street punk not paying attention to what's going on happens to be Kay. And Kay is one of the people that they're looking for. He's out there now in the next part of the lobby, looks over and he actually sees her and notices her for the first time. 
we see this guy that's been pulled into the meeting. Uh, he runs out into the lobby and he starts screaming about how nobody's going to basically take him alive. And he pulls out what looks like an incendiary grenade and pulls the pin, but it turns out to be a dud. Everybody jumps on top of him, beats the living shit out of him, and then he's dragged face first with blood coming out of his fucking pores uh, into the office to be further interrogated. And that's when we see that Kaneda wants to get everybody out of there. And he says that K is actually with them. And they, you know, the guy's like, oh, you can all be released. Uh, and he also attempts to kind of flirt with K once they actually are all released. <laughs> All right, that's enough. Get him back in there. I'll teach him a lesson he won't forget. You dumb bastard, if you want to die, just hang yourself or something! Listen, you kids are free to leave. We've contacted your school. See your principal in the morning. You son of a bitch! Hey, hold on a second, old man. Old man? There was someone else with us, you know. What was that? Uh, Will you pardon me, please? Huh? Hey, what are you doing? Uh, it's this one right here. Can't leave my friend. <sighs> Don't ever call me old man, you little punk. That's my foot! You listen here, kid. I'm only 25 years old. I'm not even married yet. So watch your mouth. Get out of here and take your friend with you. Well, I think the army was chasing that weird kid Kaneda and Tetsuo saw. That's what I think. Yeah, you're right. I think I saw him too. And speaking of Tetsuo, why the hell wouldn't they tell us what hospital they threw him in? Huh? What was that? What I meant was maybe we can go for drinks somewhere around here. I figure we could have a nice long chat about something you're into, like the whole revolution thing. I think you're a skirt chaser who'll try anything he can. You'll help anyone so long as it's a girl, is that right? You're wrong! I have very high standards, you know? It's not their looks that count. It's their, I don't know, a girl's sensitivity that makes me do it. I suppose I owe you one. Thank you very much, uh... I'm Kaneda. Nice See you to... around, Kaneda. Huh? Wait a second. They're leaving just like that? Hey! Now hold on! I am the guy that saved you back there! You can at least tell me your name, you cold bitch! First of all, the grenade was not a dud. We actually see at that scene, one of the guys like that was with him in the interrogation room, like he looks at it, he's like, huh? and then he carries it into the room not like trying to like put it out somewhere or try to do something else with it to make sure that nothing else blows up which it actually does then of course you have the whole situation with Kay and her being released from custody specifically because of Kaneda and his group right so she was going to totally be left there she probably would have been blown up in that blast but she sees Ryu off to the side and when she sees him it's like Oh, hey, I gotta run. And instead of, like, enticing... I get it. He's trying to do this whole, like, flirting thing. Look, I got you out of there, so why don't we go have a drink? And then maybe give me lead to more stuff, because you're kind of cute. But honestly, the way everything is drawn, she looks exactly like him. Like, when later on they're both dressed up in, like, the orange jumpsuits, it's a little difficult to tell the difference between the two. I get it, it's an animated movie, but at the same time, it's like, you could, I don't know, give her a little bit longer hair? Maybe it, the fact that she does look like him, he's like, hey, it's like fucking a mirror, you know, but not really getting your dick stuck in glass or anything like that. But 
<laughs> it's just really ridiculous that they look that much alike. But she does, like, just run away, too. She doesn't stay there and be like, okay, I'll humor you for a little bit or whatever. Thank you. She doesn't even really say thank you. She kind of does at the end when she's going to run away. But it's at that point that she's like, okay, well, thanks, bye. And then he does a total 180 and calls her a fucking bitch. It's really, like ridiculous at the same time like it gives you a little more insight into Canada's uh character there in that like fun loving nature like he's trying to be again the smooth suave type of guy like he's doing the right thing he sees the girl and he's like oh I'm gonna be able to grab her and drag her out of there and maybe it works with the other girls that he deals with at his school but here it ain't gonna mean shit and so she just leaves him uh and is able to get away and vanish like basically a car just gets right in front of them or bus or whatever the giant vehicle was and then all of a sudden she's gone and that's it but the fact that ryu is going to be dragged into the building with the police like how does she get him out of it like what's going on there we don't really know but she disappears into the shadows like a fucking stealthy ninja or some shit and she's gone for at least this part of the movie. From here we transition over and we see the colonel in his office. And he's busy getting some advice from one of the members of parliament. Yes, I'll try talking with him. But it's risky business. If they think you're avoiding responsibility, the whole thing could blow up in your face, right? I can't believe that there's a mole in the executive council. Even if there is a mole. That's not what's important here. What is our political maneuvers and diplomacy? Which apparently you despise. I never studied the two subjects in school, it would seem. In any case, at the next executive council meeting, your poor management and lack of judgment on this last incident will be called into question. There's a call for the colonel, sir. Put your affairs in order if you want my advice. So from there he gets a phone call from one of the doctors that working with the kids, the espers. Uh, over there in some type of military research facility. And we see that Tetsuo, he's going underneath the same type of protocol and the same type of, like, uh, MRI. Like, it's a really weird machine that he's put into, and it actually looks really cool, really well done. And again, this is one of those amazing things that that is fucking hand-drawn. Like, it's amazing in the way that he moves, and you can see the little inconsistencies within the drawings of, like, when you look at you know Tetsuo and you look at the machine and it adds that little bit of flavor to the movie in general uh and, and the beauty of the artwork that you see here see he's kind of like floating up and then you got the big giant rings that are surrounding him and it looks like he's going into a standard MRI and then it breaks apart and it's like all floating all over the place like we can't do this with a normal machine. In fact, I know some people that probably wouldn't be able to fit into this machine as well because they can't fit in a regular. But it's kind of like an open MRI. Maybe not exactly, but it's like floating in the air and it's doing all these weird sci-fi bullshit that's going on. But we'll never see this thing again for the rest of the movie. So it's cool to look at for the time being. Uh, but the colonel does arrive and he does begin talking with the doctor who has found something out about Tetsuo due to the accident that he had when he interacted with number 26. And that is something that 
we kind of get the first mentionings or the first ideas of what Akira actually means to the film. I'm terribly sorry to call you here, but there's something you really must see. Colonel, please observe. It's the special pattern I'm getting from that young man. It doesn't resemble any like I've seen so far. And I've never seen a developmental speed or configuration like this. It may have begun with the shock of contact with number 26, or it could be... Have you finished running the comparison against Akira's pattern? I'll superimpose for you. This projection was made using mixed data and the results are not quite correct, so a direct comparison is difficult. But I believe, based on what we see here, that this boy's pattern is the key to solving the riddle of Akira's growth pattern process. Fine. You may continue. Thank you very much, sir. I'm certain he'll turn out to be a worthy addition to the numbers, don't you? It may be rough on the boy, but I thought we might try starting him off with level 7 capsules. Is it safe, Doctor? I will take care of it. No! I wasn't talking about the boy at all. I'm asking that if he turns out to reach a power like Akira's, are you positive that you are able to control such a power? Uh, well, that's a... Can I leave this in your hands? Uh, well then, in my opinion, if we can use the latest examination equipment to collect even more data, and also do a multifaceted analysis as we go, uh, then surely... But maybe we weren't meant to meddle with that ultimate power. You mean, the power of a god? But we have no choice but to grasp that power. Grasp that power and learn to control it. And if this situation gets out of hand, then he's to be terminated. And without hesitation. Yes, Colonel. So we know kind of just based upon this conversation that Akira was, well, like an enhanced human being, right? And had some power. And it's kind of linking to what happened supposedly to ignite World War III and to cause the destruction of Tokyo to become Neo-Tokyo. So, but we're not quite sure exactly what it is everything at this point is still kind of being left in the dark all we know is some weird shit has happened already right we had the kid we had the guy getting killed it's a nice slow build to where everything is going but at the same time this is already getting us about 20 minutes into the movie and we really haven't gotten a whole lot of what exactly is gonna happen like the first act seems like it's kind of closing at this point but yet, it's not. Like, it goes on a little further than maybe it possibly should. Like, the way the film is structured kind of leads it to, like, four acts. Like, you have the introduction act, then you have the, the middle, you have, like, the confrontation, and then you have the epilogue. So you don't really have a prologue, though, because you don't really know what's going on. Though, I'm pretty sure you could say that the prologue was the little bit of information that kind of led you to this point be kind of interesting if you could actually see what exactly caused it or the fact that this actually happened you know the bombings or whatever it was but it was just kind of a still picture and then we were brought into the world of neo tokyo the fact that it's 31 years after the fact that all that shit went down so you have everything structured a little different than i'd say normal film you can take most films and you can break them down into three solid acts the beginning the middle and the end here i feel like you actually kind of have a fourth little small act at the end because where it should end it 
really doesn't. It kind of goes on for a little bit longer. So here we're kind of getting away from the end of the first act because we're starting to learn a little more about the world and a little bit more about the crazy things that are kind of going on on the outside. From this scene, we jump over into the school and we see they're getting reprimanded from basically being a biker gang and getting arrested by the police slash military. They're told that if they have any more points on their record, basically they're going to become full-fledged adults and they're going to be tried in an adult court rather than just being tried in the juvenile. And he says that they're under 15 years old, which is quite amazing if you ask me because they all look like they're drawn at least to be in their like early 20s there's the joke earlier in the film that you also heard uh with the guys like i'm not in my 30s i'm not old i'm only 25 i'm not even married yet and the guy clearly looks like he's in his late 30s like he's just trying to hold on to his age you know he's gonna be the old guy in the club just dance around with that one shirt you know he's got like it's it's flashy but it's not yet like a hawaiian shirt so Maybe somebody might be like, oh, it looks like he's got a lot of money, but I don't know. Maybe I could just be a sugar mama for a while. I don't necessarily have to sleep with him, but oh, no, wait, that might be going a little too far. But, you know, he really looks like the way that he's drawn, like he's a much older gentleman. And he's like, I'm only 25. We're all these guys. They're all supposed to be under 15 and they look like they're at least 18, maybe in their early 20s, especially since they hang out at a bar and they talk about going out for drinks. I don't know if it's just like a mistranslation and they decided to go that way, or that's what it was really intended, and the you know, drinking age has been lowered in Neo-Tokyo because it's 2019. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that, uh, you know, it's still the same fucking age that it always is, of course, I don't necessarily know Japanese laws, but I'm pretty sure that those under 15 can't hang out bars and shouldn't be a part of biker gangs in uh, this day and age. But we're a little late on 2019's uh, Apocalyptic End or Neo-Tokyo. So, whatever the way that it goes. So, they meet up with the girls that they supposedly are seeing and they decide to go out uh, from there. Here we also meet Kaori, who is Tetsuo's girlfriend or girl interest or whatever. And she asks the group where he's at. And they're like, well, he's at a hospital. We don't really know where he is. And it kind of sucks that nobody will actually tell us where he is. Uh, she decides, like, well, it fades to her doing laundry inside of, like, I guess the girl's dorm. And there's a girl that's talking on the phone. She's talking some weird thing. I don't know. It's weird dialogue that I'm like, does it really need to be in here? But... I'm not sure what they're trying to show with her. Maybe that she's like as reserved as Tetsuo is. And so that's why she kind of clings to him at the same time. So like she lives that like quiet, chill life. Like she's a little apprehensive. She lives in the girl's dorm alone. You know, he's kind of a loner at the same time. Because we don't know anything about any of these guys' families. In fact, we're led to believe that these guys all kind of came from the same like group home or at least came from like a foster system or orphanage type system uh and we definitely get kind of confirmation with that with kanida and tetsuo later on 
but she's kind of also to be believed at least in the same type of thing, right? She's living in an all-girls dorm, supposedly, and she's by herself, and, you know, I guess that maybe that's why they're so connected. This is something that I'd actually like to explore more in the manga and actually read it and see if there's a lot more that there is to this relationship. But here it does seem kind of forced, but they try to at least explain it in some way or show something that would get them to be, like, in that situation. So, uh, or at least be together for whatever reason there is so she's still looking for him she actually runs into tetsuo uh out there he's managed to escape from the hospital after he woke up and what does he want to do he wants to go and steal kanada's bike and just basically run away with kaori uh, and never come back like he's got headaches he's not sure exactly what's going on he didn't know why he was stuck inside of that hospital but he managed to escape and he wants to be out on his own. And the best way to do it is just to steal the bike that he really wants and just GTFO into the distance with this girl. And that's what they do the next morning. They're all sitting in class. They're all joking around. They're still wondering where Tetsuo is. And then all of a sudden they hear noises coming from outside. One of the biker gangs alarms uh, Kaneda here and tells him, your bike's being stolen. And... Off Tetsuo and Kaori go until they're stopped by the clown biker gang once again, where they knock him off the bike. The reason that they end up like coming after him is because he really can't handle the bike. Uh, he's learning how to control the bike, and it's exactly what Canada told him in the beginning of the film, uh, where he said that you know if you want a bike like this, you got to steal it, but you can't handle this bike. And he's like, yeah, I totally can. And then when he does drive the bike, it's like he doesn't know that even when he makes turns, he's got to make sure he accelerates. And he's learning and he's supposed to say, oh, so this is what I did wrong. This is why I flooded this and this is what. And it's too late because he gets his ass kicked by one of the clown people. And then when he wakes up, Kaori is being assaulted by them to the point that they like rip off her shirt. I don't get it. I, I Well, I do get it. Then I don't at the same time, because if they were going to do what I think they were going to do, I think it was more just like humiliate him to be like, here, this is what we can do because you're being held down and you're just such a weakling and you did this to our buddy and where the hell is he? And it's not really his fault, even though he did hit him across the face with a crowbar. But honestly, the military are the ones that captured him. And so the military should be the ones to tell these guys, where the fuck they've gone. But I guess that you can take it out on Tetsuo. Since Tetsuo was the one that knocked him unconscious. And allowed him to, you know, be captured. Uh, we also had Kaneda and, and the rest of the guys. They are following after them. And Kaneda is not very excited about taking somebody else. Or riding on the back of somebody else's bike. But they do want to catch up to Tetsuo and, and Kaori. And to one, get his bike back. Two, to make sure that he's okay. So... They tear off her shirt. She's not wearing anything underneath. And it's it's weird. It's kind of like Vampire Hunter D-boobs all over again. But it's not a very like sexy situation. It's a very awkward situation. And But they don't really do anything because she's like whines. And then he, the guy just turns up and socks her right in the fucking face. Like 
punches her hard and she goes down quickly and like her face is already completely fucked up like it takes nothing she goes from like regular face to being punched to having a fucking swollen eye and her nose is bleeding everywhere and they bring her head back up and then they start talking like oh well we can do more and then that's when Kanida and the, everybody else arrives and you get the badass like trailer scene where he jumps off the bike and he flies at the, the guy on the other bike and just kicks him in the face as he's going by. I'm pretty sure that he'd break his fucking foot by doing that. Like, you would jump off, you'd fly, you'd be going at whatever speed you're going on on the bike. The guy was kind of running towards them or driving towards them too. And then when your foot connects with him, bam, one, it would probably kill the guy. Two, your foot would be sh completely shattered and you wouldn't be walking on that ship. But this is fucking anime and badass fucking fighting scenes is what they're known for. So this is what you get is a badass like jump off the bike cracking him right in the face. And then they capture the guy. And then you kind of go to Kaori's like perspective for a second. Because you're on the ground. It's like you're blinking your eyes awake after you've been knocked out. And you see that Tetsuo is over there. And he is beating the living shit out of the guy that did that crap to him and they beg for him don't kill the dude you're gonna kill him tetsuo you want that i want him more than dead i'll split his freaking head open just knock it off now this whole thing happened just because you took my bike for a spin enough already shut up don't order me around we were just worried why do you always have to try to save me i could handle it on my own yeah i admit I've gotten beaten before, but I won't always be on the receiving end. You hear that? Do you understand? Tetsuoi. <laughs> Shut up! Go away! Huh? Hey, wait! Where are you going? Leave me alone! Akira! <laughs> Something wrong? Akira! I don't know who that is! So this is where things begin to get fucked up. Now, there, everything so far has been like normal. Like somewhat normal. Not completely normal, but you're like, okay... There is, like, some psychic things that might be going on, and there's some, you know, weird things with the government, and there's, like, dissent among the people, and they're fighting, you've got these, you know, rebellious groups, and you've got these, the military that's there, even within parliament, everything seems to be kind of fucked up. You know, you get a little bit of that, like, he's basically, you know, the colonel's told there that, you know you fuck up and they're kind of bring this against you so you got to be careful make sure everything so there's all these like different things going on but there hasn't been anything quite weird until this fucking moment and at this moment he starts grabbing his head and he's hearing them saying akira akira um in his head and he's like, I don't, you know, he even said, I don't know who that is. I don't know. And then it's like the ground breaks open below him and the world starts changing. And then he falls down. And when he falls down is one of the first, like, disgusting and 
trippy fucking things that you will see in the movie. And this is the start when you think, okay, things aren't going to be any more normal from this point on. Because he looks down and it's like his whole body opens up and all of his guts spill out right onto the floor. And it's like everything. It's all animated out. It looks really... It looks really good, like the way that it's done. Like if it were going to be a practical effect, you'd be like, damn, that's a really good practical effect. But the animation, it's like (laughs) gory, disgusting, and beautiful at the same time. Because, again, it's amazing that this film was all done, like hand-drawn. They took the time to animate somebody's guts coming out of their body in that way. You know, we saw a little bit of gore earlier when the guy got shot to death. And even when the guy gets, like, the ship beat out and dragged into the other room, there's a bunch of blood. But nothing that's like this, like, body, like, body gore that you see. That's the best way I can kind of describe it. But this is the start of it. And this is where things don't remain the same for the rest of the movie. We know things are only going to get more intense because we've never seen anything like this yet. We've seen very intense scenes, we've seen the fighting and those things, but we haven't seen this level of like like to, to be so visually disturbing. And and from now on, that sets the standard of what we're going to see as the movie moves on. I'm not saying that seeing the dogs get shot in the head is not visually disturbing, but it's not to the point where, like, you see their, like, blank brains fucking splatter out of their skull or some shit like that. And, like, it goes everywhere. This is literally his intestines and his stomach and his heart. Everything just pours out of him and onto the ground and he's freaking out. And that's when the doctor, who's associated with the military, comes in, picks him up, and they all take them back to the hospital uh, to basically get more treatment and keep him under control. Kaneda does try to stop them from taking Tetsuo, but once again, he's been beaten up, and we see that Tetsuo is getting taken away by the government. From here, we cut to nighttime, and we see that the gang's all hanging out, and Kaneda is really upset because he couldn't stop Tetsuo from being taken away from him once again. The girls that are with him are getting really bored because he's got something else on his mind and they decide to leave and that's when you hear another explosion in the background and it's the terrorist movement from the resistance fires going once again. Uh, he runs over and he looks and he sees that Kay is there and she's running away and she breaks off with Ryu and they go down a hallway and they end up in a corner and he hands her a gun and says that, you know, basically protect yourself, I'll meet up with you, just go. And she begins to run away. When she goes into the sewers, she's confronted by two military men who back her into a corner and she does fire her gun once but totally misses. When the next one's about to come and get her, Kanida comes out of the middle of nowhere and jumps on top of him and knocking him into the sewer water and knocking him out. The other officer that's there comes and points her, his gun at Kanida and she in turn points and shoots and shoots him right through the cheek. And this one is probably one of the tougher ones. Like, I can actually take a lot of the other stuff, but the way that this is done, it just looks super painful. Just like it really does go through one corner of the mouth. If you were to slow it down and just it explodes all over the place. And the blood that gets splattered onto the wall. 
and she is in complete shock because this is the very first time that you can tell that she's ever one fired a gun to killed anybody and even Kanida says that once he gets her you know alone she's following him afterwards we then cut over to Tetsuo and he's having a dream and he's looking at a cityscape and then he sees the bright light and he looks down at himself and he sees that he's tearing away like he's breaking into pieces and slowly breaking apart and that's when he wakes up we see at the same time that the little girl that is one of the espers, she's also having a bad dream. And then she's approached by the colonel, and she explains exactly what she's been seeing. There. Now, what's the matter? Talk about it. It was a dream that I saw. A dream? The city started to crumble apart, covered by a big shadow, and lots of people died. And the three of us, we get to meet Akira again. What? Akira? The city will crumble. So many people. So many will die. When will it happen? Do you know when? Kyoko! You mustn't let that boy go. His power... It... <sighs> What's she talking about? Well, there's a... Uh, there seems to be nothing physically wrong with her, and uh, her medication looks accurate. There's no sign of any abnormalities in her EKG or EEG either. I think number 25's statement is probably her precognitive power at work. You know, this needs to be brought before the Supreme Council for inquiry. Do you believe her? I have no doubts regarding number 25's abilities. We have lots of data that substantiates it. What do you believe, Colonel? I'll tell you, my job isn't to believe or disbelieve. It's to act or not act. My job is not to read, it's to lead. Um, <laughs> but it's so ridiculous. He's just, he's such a military man, and he has that mindset that he's just like, look, I take every threat as a real threat, whether or not it's going to be something that we really need to look at. I'm a man of action and I'm just gonna go and I'm gonna follow my gut and my gut is telling me that something's gonna happen and we need to make sure we do it but the doctor's kind of like well nothing seems to be wrong everything seems to be okay there's nothing wrong with the readings but he's determined that something is going to be happening and that there could be something with Akira going on again so he decides to go visit the place where Akira is actually at and he has some reflection because he thinks like a soldier, not necessarily like a scientist. The other day, a young researcher came to me and asked me something. He wondered if their power was the form of the next stage that human evolution was taking, and perhaps we would all be able to control it someday. <laughs> Scientists are a bunch of romantics. Military men, on the other hand, always consider the risks first. Over 30 years it's taken. We've come so far, crawling up from the rubble. We can't just trade one for the other. But I've always thought that you held a resentment, even a hatred for this city, Colonel. The passion to build is cooled, and the joy of reconstruction forgotten. Now, now it's just a garbage heap made up of a bunch of hedonistic fools. But in spite of that, you're trying to save the city. I'm not a scientist. I think like a soldier. 
Damn it, Jim, I'm a military man, not a therapist. I don't know how to deal with these fucks in the city and how exactly they're going to make themselves feel better. But at the same time, I want to make sure that it stays. Like, I hate these people, but at the, you know, I want to make sure I always protect them at the same time. Damn it, doctor. Uh, but seriously, that's basically what he's going on there, right? He's basically saying that I don't like what this has become. Like, we came out of the rubble. We built. And originally thought, like, oh yeah, the, the desire to build is cool. No, it's gone cold, is actually what he said. Uh, and in, Meaning that they have no desire to do any more expansion. They've already rebuilt everything. There's no reason to bring anything from the wreckage. And now everybody are just, like, heathens out there and they don't know what exactly they lost and there is a lot of dissent that's going on within the city and nobody understands that there's still danger around the corner so they go down into the vault where akira is and it's completely cold like everybody's wearing these giant coats and you can see the breath everywhere and they finally get to the point where they open everything up and we see that the colonel is staring at this like chamber that's there with a cure written over the top of it and he comes up with this rather poignant statement look at what they abandoned in their panic they were afraid they were too scared so they hid it away from the public losing all sense of shame and honor casting aside the civilization and abandoning the science that created it shutting the lid of the pandora's box they themselves had opened so basically he's pissed off because the people that caused everything they just shoved it under the rug they did what they needed to do and then they put akira away and what else have they done like nothing with it and he's the one that's still continuing on with the doctors and the research and making sure that everything is okay and preparing everybody for the next thing that might happen but as we learn a little bit later in the film, Parliament doesn't think that it's a worthwhile experience. So it's kind of a weird thing that they've got going on here where it feels like he cares more about what is going on and he's very precautionary where they're very much like, no, we need to get done what we need to get done. From here, we see that Kaneda, he's following around K and he's still firing really really hard on her and getting shot down after you know he saved her life for the second time and she killed somebody for the very first time so he's like both trying to be like cool-headed and like sympathetic but at the same time he wants to stick his dick in something so he's just like trying to figure out how he can get in there and that makes him a very interesting character like He's very confident and he's very full of himself at the same time that he cares for everybody around him. It's truly shown that he cares a hell of a lot for Tetsuo and as we learn a lot later on in the film from a very young age and he understands what he's going through and he's been kind of like and he's like that for everybody else in the group the stronger character even though he has his own like wants and desires and he gets the shit kick out of him like constantly and he's gonna about to have it happen to him once again too that he but he still is able to keep pulling himself up and be that strong character in this film it's I am just, I'm so fascinated by his character and exactly what he does and why he does it. But at the same time, if he just decided to not try to stick his dick in anything, he wouldn't be involved in this film at all. He would just be, that's it, 
done. You know, Tetsuo's gonna go do Tetsuo things, and I'm just gonna be a part of the gang, but maybe it would have been something similar, but it wouldn't be exactly what it turned out to be. Because the next things that happened to him are all because he still wants to get with her. So, they he meets with the Resistance people along with Kay, and they think that he's part of the government, and that he's actually a spy, so they stick him in another room, and he manages to crawl through the ducks, I guess, and listen in on the conversation that they're having. And Ryu is there, and he's basically telling everybody what he knows, and that they've captured somebody that has a similar psychic power to Akira. This intrigues Kanida because he believes that that's Tetsuo and the person that he knows. And when he's found out, he basically comes out with it. He's like, yeah, I know the kid and I can basically be of help. Well, more or less, they decide that he can be of help. We're just going to bring him along for the ride. From here we go and we actually meet who the mole is and it happens to be one of the members of parliament who's talking to Ryu about what Akira means to the people of Neo Tokyo. That's an intriguing story now, isn't it? Well, will you be taking the boy with you? He knows the subject and I think we can use him as a decoy if we find it necessary. Neo Tokyo is going to change soon. <laughs> In all respects this city is saturated. It's like an overripe fruit. Buried within it is a new seed. We need only wait for the wind, which will make it fall to fruition. The wind called Akira. Ryu, look over here. What is it? We aren't the ones who will change it. But rather, it's those citizens who hope for Akira that will. That which is called science perverts providence. That which is called progress encourages extravagance. That which is called civilization devastates the spirit of man! The time of atonement is upon us! Are your hearts prepared? The time is nigh! The time of his awakening is nigh! The moment of Lord Akira's awakening is drawing closer! Are your hearts and minds prepared for a Bring new it up! Holding meetings here is prohibited! This gathering is so this guy happens to be a member of parliament because from here we fade over to a scene with the members of parliament and we see him there. Now what I like about the character and it is a little bit in front of your face at the same time is the way that he looks and you'd be like why are you so intrigued by the way that he looks? He's just kind of like a shriveled old man who has like these buck teeth. Yeah but the teeth the way they do it he looks like a rat. Like, the way that the face is done, it, and it's very blatant. And then that's because, or you could say it looks like a mole, I guess, because he's the mole that's been talking to the Resistance people and actually trying to stir up everything that's going on. Because there's this worship of Akira that happened a long time ago. Over the years, that people think that he's this enlightened being, and they think that he was the reason that World War III actually happened, and it wasn't actually, like, that was a cover-up for everything that went on, and allowed them to create a new light, and eventually, he's like a god, he's gonna take him to the promised land at some point in time, whenever he comes back. And so, by using that, that he can either gain power, gain money, gain the women. I don't know what exactly this mole rat face guy wants. But, you know, he's kind of, you can see that maybe he's using both sides. Like, even the way that his little sly movements of the face and everything like that. It's very, like, about him 
and not necessarily about like the people like he wants this change he can't get it unless they do something and then that is going and possibly starting something by separating all the espers or now capturing tetsuo or using tetsuo to their advantage because they hear that he's just like akira right he can be the next beacon of hope for these people and maybe cause them to rise up and help overthrow the current regime or the military or whomever it is make the military guys look bad so that the colonel he gets kicked out of his position that's kind of where i kind of put everything to it but you know it's kind of a little bit maybe up to interpretation just based upon what happens next but that's my inkling at least in the basis of the film again i've never read the manga and maybe the manga goes into it a little more but this guy he's specifically drawn in a way to have you believe that he's no good and he's just kind of in for himself because he's a rat. And in the case of rats, you know, they'll love you while you feed them. You stop feeding them and then they're going to go after food from somewhere else. You know, it's not like a dog or in some cases a cat that they'll stay with you no matter what. A rat really doesn't give a shit about you one way or the other. It's all about the survival of the species, right? Of course, some people's going to be mad, and the rat community is going to come after me and be like, no, my rat loves me unconditionally, and maybe you have a special rat. But I, I never did, so there we go. Anyway, so from there we go over and we see the parliament is talking, and this is where they kind of get up in the colonel's face and wants to relieve him of his command. Terrorist activities carried out by anti-government elements have skyrocketed this month. The army, riot squad, and even the traffic police have been fully mobilized. The overtime costs alone have used up the public safety budget. And then there's the abduction of number 26. Isn't their existence supposed to be the highest of state secrets, Colonel? No one's ever heard of peace and order here in Neo-Tokyo, then? And this, this request of yours for further... Ah, uh, yes, for further funding because of subject number 25's prediction. Well, You that's... must be joking! While straightening out the historic tax reform blunders of our former Prime Minister, we Parliament members have been bowing our heads down and begging the public to bear with us. And what does he ask for? Money! Where exactly do we get that kind of money? You've already spent a fortune here, and all we have to show for it is that grotesque kindergarten you set up. The Olympics are next year, and the post-war period is over. How much longer will you keep throwing away countless amounts of money on these worthless ghosts? I always said we should put all that money into the welfare program! Shut up, old man! What was that? You heard now me. listen here. That power is starting to walk around free as we speak. Unless we control that power now, we'll lose everything we've tried so hard Stop to achieve. Take that old man comment back! It was your lack of policy that started this mess in the first place! There's still no proof that the last world war was caused by Akira, in my opinion. And what makes don't you understand? Unless an Akira disaster actually happens? Don't you people understand anything? Has anyone ever seen this number 26 Akira? That's not You're wrong! He was number 25! Idiot! Break it off! You. I say that the colonel has lost sight of his duty as a soldier! Yes, he's right! And I have had several reports. Reports on anti-government elements. How they're using your Akira madness to whip up their terrorist fervor. Yes, it's I not true. It's just say. not. Then what about that Akira world renewal movement? Yes, Wouldn't you say that right. information's being leaked? Renewal movement? It's more like the end of the world. Aren't you just using Akira as camouflage to cover up your misconduct? Admit it! What are you getting at? Colonel. Please be calm and try to understand that we can no longer leave the peace of Neo-Tokyo to your sole discretion. Understood? Get rid of him he and him him I'm sorry, out. 
but you are to be put before an inquiry committee. You the whole military needs a reform! <sighs> Excuse me! What?! <gasps> this discussion isn't over! What? This is an outrage! You should explain How yourself! You are you trying to insult the Supreme Executive Council? His behavior is intolerable! So, Parliament fucking sucks. Like, they're there, they know that stuff, like, you have Rat Boy over there, he's just sitting there, like, being quiet and tapping his fingers like he's fucking Mr. Burns in the corner, and everything is just all excellent and shit, and meanwhile, everybody is fighting because there's turmoil that's being actually brought up by that guy because he's using the fact that there is this Akira movement to sow seeds of distrust in between the people and the government and they're all putting it on the shoulders of this military guy who is very straightforward and in it for the good of the people whether he agrees what the people are doing he's still there to protect them and he's trying to prevent another incident like the akira incident that happened 31 years ago and nobody seems to give a shit and they're just like is it even true that this happened there's going to be people that saw shit that happened and he may be one of those people that actually saw shit go down and that's why he doesn't want it to happen again. So you should still fucking listen to him, but they're more worried about what their spending is going to be and what is, you know is going on rather than all these crazy creepy things that are possibly going on. And speaking of crazy creepy things, it's time to play Guess What Happens Next and Guess What Memorable Scene Is Next. Why it's the bears. The the one scene in the movie that I think almost everybody who's ever seen this film will remember, period. There there are two that I would say that are the big ones. Definitely the there's the you know the final act portion of the scene uh, of this film. That is a big one, but this is possibly one of the more trippy ones that you'll see out of the whole movie, and that's Tetsuo, you know, he wakes up in his hospital bed, still wondering where he's at, and he takes a drink of the water, and all of a sudden, this bear just kind of pops up out of the corner, and he thinks that he's dreaming, but in actuality, it's, they're controlled by the other espers that are there. So you've got the bear, the rabbit, and a car that has lights on it. And first they're just like really small and they just kind of climb up on the side of the bed and it just kind of freaks him out, but he thinks that, like I said, he's hallucinating. While this is all going on too, I should say that the resistance group with Ryu, Kay, Kaneda, and the other guys, whatever the fuck their names are, the fodder, uh, have now used their plan to enter the building as like maintenance workers so that way they can get down to the bottom levels where Tetsuo and the other Esperers are currently being hidden from the rest of society. So we go back over to Tetsuo's room and he knocks all of the animals off the bed. Then all of a sudden they grow huge uh, and they start attacking him basically see the espers they all want to go after tatsuo for whatever reason it is but he's able to fight them all back before they can do any damage to him what makes this seem incredibly weird and freaky is not just the fact that the you know the animals grow the stuffed animals grow really big but the soundtrack that's used in the background is this weird mix of like yelps and uh, I don't know how to explain it. It's like the 
Actually, you know what? I'm going to play just a little bit of it for you. And so, like, you kind of got that, and that was Tetsuo at the end, like, cramping his fingers, like, or hand down on them, and then they disappear at that point. But you hear that music that you've got there. It's just that word, and it gets faster, and it gets weirder, and it's just, it matches the way that the scene works. It's truly a big fucking trip. When you're watching it, and I couldn't imagine it, like, watching it just, you know, you're watching it normal, and you're like, man, this is fucked up. And if you were fucked up, it'd be even more fucked up. I think this would be something that would give you complete and utter nightmares, uh, no matter how you watch it. And, and as a kid, I remember this being the weirdest scene in the movie to me. Like, I could handle all the other stuff, the gore and whatnot, even though I was a young age, because, oh, hey, it's a cartoon. But this really kind of stuck with me, just because the combination of the music, the combination of the weird little walking stuffed animals, and then the milk. Um, that I don't get. I don't get the milk. <laughs> like, the, the idea is that the, like, bears, like, he swipes at him, he manages to escape, and then they start filling the room with, like, liquid and it's all white, and it's like pouring out of their pores all over the place, and it's like, why is it milk? Like, what is the significance of the milk to the kids and to going after him? Like, they're trying to drown him with that. Um, he does manage to step back, and he doesn't fight them off. What he actually happens is that... Well, the glass of water that he drank originally, it, it knocked onto the floor and then it broke. And so when he's trying to escape from the way the bears are doing with the milk and all this other shit, he actually steps on the glass and there's blood. And the kids freak out because there's blood. And that's where you hear the voice of the espers uh, ring out and say, oh no, blood. And he's able to pull the glass out of his feet, which again, always makes my own fucking feet like fucking, oh, it's like that trailer for that Brightburn movie that's currently out right now at this point in time I'm recording, where the lady gets the glass in her eye and she's like pulling it. Oh, my eye hurts even thinking about it. But like she's pulling it out right there. I can't watch those things. I can't watch nails going into feet. I can't watch glass going into feet when they do close-ups. Uh, I can't watch tendons being like torn apart with a scalpel. It's really difficult to watch those things. But it's even worse worse when somebody pulls it out like oh my body the just in the parts they, they fucking hurt already like it's i'm cringing body parts are fucking cringing just thinking about it it's not like in my mind or anything i mean it is in my mind but it's just not my mind thinking about it it's my whole fucking like my hands my feet my my eye hurt a second ago when i was thinking about that lady doing that taking it oh god it's happening again um but <laughs> But it's those things that it's like, I, even in this, I can't, I know this is animated. This is not even a real person that's there that's doing it with a practical effect. This is animated and it still pains me to watch him pull the glass out of his feet. But for some reason, the blood is what makes them go away. 
So since we know that the kids were the ones that were trying to attack him because of one of the voices and the blood and everything like that, um, when we cut over and we see one of the nurses looking at all the different screens that are monitoring the different hospital rooms, his room is completely like fuzzy. I was about to say furry, but that's not true, though there probably were furries inside of that room. We're not going to go there. We'll forget that for the time being. But it's all fuzzy, It's and then when he smacks against it, he sees that, well, he says, oh, the, the magnetic locks have been broken and that the doors, you know, something's happened. So he and two security guards go down to the room and they see Tetsuo. He's standing there in the hallway. The nurse approaches Tetsuo, says, everything's okay. We're just going to relocate you to a different room. It'll be fine. We hear one of the guards say, what the hell happened? How did this happen? And when they go to investigate it, all of a sudden, from a very far distance away, Things go black right in the section with them. And we cut back over to Tetsuo who's holding his head. And the walls are completely black. And a single hand drops down from the ceiling with blood completely like covering the walls. And it's all sticky. Basically he blew them all up. And it's pretty goddamn disgusting and pretty goddamn satisfying at the same time. I like the fact that unlike some other like really bloody animes at the time, like I'm thinking like Fist of the North Star when somebody gets punched with you know one of those fists that they explode and you see everything about them explode up close, it's nice to have this happen from very far away and then it cut close and show the damage of it. Another good one would be Elfin Lead, uh, that first sequence that you see there when she's escaping and she's blowing everybody out. It's very graphic, very in your face. Here, it's very graphic, but it's not in your face until you see the ramifications of what's been done. So he manages to escape, and he's chasing after the other Esper people uh, to basically find out what the hell is going on and probably also to get some answers on exactly who Akira is. We can then cut over to the Resistance people, and we see that they're walking in the sewers trying to get to wherever... Uh, the espers and possibly where Tetsuo is who's the new subject uh, Kaneda is still being loud and chatty with everybody he's still trying to fucking fire on you know K over here but she's not really having it and tells him basically to shut up and at one point he's like man the sewer stinks I gotta talk all the time what you don't have a nose like it stinks I'm just saying that it stinks which is a true statement, but, you know, you're trying to infiltrate some place, you dumbass. Maybe you could just shut the fuck up for a second and not get caught by the gods. Oh, then they get caught by the guards. Well, there are these really interesting, like, flying machines that they have. They're, like, flying motorcycles that uh, are patrolling around there, and they manage to escape the first one by just going off to the sides. And then when they're, like, he gets shoved underwater because everybody's, like, Get, get on the sides, get on the sides. He's like, what? What's going on? Huh? Why? Um, everybody's doing something and he told me to do something, but I don't know what the fuck is going on. How could it possibly? And so he gets shoved under the sewer water and then he has like a dead rat or something floating in front of him. And then he, they're like, are you okay? He's like, I just had something dead in front of me. And so when he pops up, then all of a sudden here comes the next patrol that spots all of them and one guy decides that he's going to open fire on it to which he gets obliterated by the gatling gun that's on the front of the damn like flying motorcycle thingy so there's also a scene there where Kay goes to grab the gun that the guy has and when he, she grabs it all that's left attached to the gun is his hand and the arm and she's got to like 
knock it off. Uh, eventually, you know, Canada is, is able to knock the guy off the bike and steal it. He almost fucking kills Kay and the other people because the gun he can't control. And it does this like circle around the top of the sewer perfectly around her. Doesn't get anybody else or anybody. Then grabs her and they, they fly off down into uh, going towards wherever Tetsu and the rest of them are. Leaving Ryu and the other guys there pretty much dead. Um, except for we don't really know like, what happens to him after everything is done. We know that just a couple of them get taken out by the little flying security guard guys. From there we see Tetsuo going around the like hospital ward or this military base. I guess that's kind of a better way to talk about it. But he's basically going around the hallways just fucking killing fools with his newfound psychic powers. He's just blittering guys left and right. They try to attack him and they try to shoot him with gas, but that ain't gonna fucking stop Tetsuo at this time. And he uses his abilities to like either throw them out of the way, to crush them, to explode them, whatever he wants to do, till he gets to the point where he actually runs into the espers and he starts to attack them and they try to protect the one little girl that's there. We also see Kaneda and Kay, they're flying in the little thing. He's finally getting control of it and she gets taken over in this scene by the little girl to give directions on exactly how to find them and Tetsuo and so you're gonna hear that part in the beginning and then it's gonna break into the fact that Tetsuo is attacking the other espers. Damn it, where the hell am I going? Where? Proceed straight. Proceed straight ahead. Huh? You'll find a freight elevator just ahead. You can take it down to sub-level 8. That's good. You're all together. You thought you could kill me? I'm through with it. You tried to mess with me, and now I'm gonna kill you. Huh? You were there. I remember. Takashi! Huh? Together, let's attack him! So Boss Baby and Gaunt Little Boy over here decide to go ahead and attack Tetsuo and try to stop him from reaching the little, strange little grandma girl that's sitting back there. Yes, I could say their names, but at the same time, I'm having a very hard time saying Kaneda at the same way throughout this whole fucking podcast, and I'm pretty sure I've said it different ways at least seven different times. But Tetsuo I've been pretty good on, because it's easy. Uh, but <laughs> you see them combine together and there's some like power struggle between the two of them until they finally do give up uh, and they find out that they're currently equally matched and then that's when the military breaks through and Tetsuo attacks them some but he wants to learn a little more of exactly where Akira is. All of you, that is enough! <laughs> What's the matter? Is your head hurting? Tetsuoshima, your power isn't fully matured yet. If you push yourself, you might do irreparable damage. We can help. What the hell? What did you people do? You mess with my head! Uh, 
Tetsuoshima, calm yourself. But he can't control it, sir. What'd you say? She said that big people like you should never use the power in the way that you are. And bad things will come of it. <laughs> Mind your own business, will ya? What? More powerful than I am now? Uh, he's the one! He's the one who's been invading my head all along! Where is he? Where's this Akira? Tell me now! What? Huh? Kyoko said you'll wake him up. And if you awaken Akira like that, when that happens, no one will be able to stop him at all. To prevent it, we have to stop you. Ridiculous. Akira's already... Where is he? No! Don't! Stay here! So Tetsuo begins to show his powers, and they're increasingly growing, and he starts fighting off the other members of the military there. Meanwhile, we see Kei and Kanida... They're flying around the hallways. He's able to control that thing really, really well to the point that he can actually go into an elevator, tell the elevator to go up or down floors, and then exit it without any problem. Like, how the hell did he do that? They didn't get off, they didn't hit the floor, they just got in and it magically went to where it needed to go and they got out. Like, are there controls on the little bike thing? Uh, does he have, like, a really long dick? He just whips it out and, you know, smacks the elevator door and then, boom, they're on the next floor. Is it Kay that should just jump off for a second? Or, you know, it's kind of led to believe. And this is kind of a weird thing, and I'm going to say this right now because they... They supposedly say it at the end, but I never really get it. But Kay herself is developing some psychic powers. And they do explain in a bit that everybody has the ability to use these powers, right? And it's led to believe that because Kays are starting to grow, that the young grandma girl, she's able to actually use her as a vessel because she has those psychic powers. And that everybody, since everybody has a little bit of it in it, it just depends on how they use it and so somebody like Tetsuo with his mindset meaning that because he's been pushed around and he's using it in a way to be like now I'm all fucking powerful and I'm able to like get revenge on the people that did shit to me that's the wrong way rather than using these powers to actually help society and kind of do the right thing that would be somebody that maybe uses it more responsibly, and maybe that person actually is Kay, but I kind of don't believe it because, like, she's fighting for the resistance of somebody that's actually trying to fucking help them. So, they arrive, and we see Kaneda come in, and he tries to talk Tetsuo into stopping and letting him know that he's here for the rescue. That hurt. Kaneda, what are you doing in here? Tetsuo! You okay? I'm here for the rescue! Hurry up! What are you, stupid? If we don't get out of here, those... <gasps> there he is! Capture him! You keep away! <laughs> oh, that's right. I forgot you were there. There, do you see, Kaneda? I won't be needing you to come to the rescue ever again, okay? From now on, I'll be in charge of the heroics. So if you need any saving, just ask, Connie. Damn it, Tetsuo! 
Who the hell do you think you're talking to, you moron? Ha, you don't like what you're hearing, do ya? Makes you angry? So what are you gonna do now? Well, Kaneda, what are you gonna do now? <laughs> This Akira. I won't tell. Olympic Stadium? Underground. No, don't! What you're thinking is wrong, Akira is. <laughs> Wait! So it's kind of unclear exactly how Tatsuo learns that Akira is buried underneath the Olympic Stadium. Like, he asks where he's at, and then he's like, oh, so that's where, like, now he has the ability to like read minds. And I know that they say he's as powerful as Akira was when Akira did what Akira does. Like <laughs> when he did it over there in the, the past 31 years ago and the whole lightning thing and the World War III shit, like they say Tetsuo has the ability to get to that level and be as strong as Akira is. So maybe when you're that strong, you get multiple abilities versus the rest of these guys who all have some ability, but their focus is in different areas. So like the little creepy grandma girl, she's more of like a future predictor and then she can like telecommunicate between different bodies and stuff like that because we've already experienced that. Whereas boss baby dude over here, like, he is stronger in terms of, like, being, like, the leader, maybe his psychic attack. And same thing with, like, Gaunt Kid. I, I don't know. They really don't do anything different or special in comparison to what she can do. Like, she's got something completely different. But Tetsuo seems to be, like, really, really fucking strong and powerful. And way more than the three of them, even combined, can handle. So he blasts off and he actually figures out that he can also fucking teleport. It's like, he's like the kid. Or, or you know what? The best example that I've got is Cartman in the Funs with Weapons episode. Where he's like, you know, Balrog, the destroyer, whatever the fuck you want to call him. And he's like, my ability is to have all the abilities that I want. That's what fucking Tetsuo is. Like, he has all these brand new fucking abilities. He can make people pop, he can read people's fucking minds, and then he learns he can fucking teleport too. Like, he teleports right out of the building, and then he can fucking fly. Like, what the hell? Why does he keep gaining fucking abilities throughout this fucking movie? I don't know, but it's actually really fucking cool that he is all of a sudden able to gain all these weird things and what he does with them, and that's where you even see it here, because all of a sudden he's acting like a dick. And the way that I kind of see Kanida to Tetsuo is that he's kind of like the older brother, right? He's always been kind of looking out for him, especially as you learn later on in the film, and I know I'm bringing that a little earlier than maybe you want it to be, but you, you have to see that relationship between the two of them. And he's like, I'm coming to the rescue because I care about you. And Tetsuo's just like, oh, well, you don't have to worry about it anymore because I'm way more fucking powerful than you. Which is fucking true, but you don't have to be a dick about it. It's like Superman and Batman here, okay? So Superman, you know... Let's say that they grew up together and Batman's got all these badass fucking tricks and money and all this cool stuff and he's able to and Superman's coming in and he's just like, huh, 
I don't need you anymore, Batman. Like, I can just, like, beat things up. It doesn't matter. But what he doesn't realize is that kryptonite is his fucking, like, you know... I was about to say kryptonite is his kryptonite, but it's fucking true. But it's a big weakness that he has. And, you know, Batman is there, even though he's a regular guy. He doesn't have those weaknesses. He doesn't have an anti-superhero. You know what his weakness is? Bankruptcy. That's fucking it. All If he runs out of fucking money, he can't be fucking Batman anymore. But you know what? He's fucking financial savvy. He's put enough away and enough investments in things to where it just makes mad fucking money for him. And he can develop whatever the fuck weapons he wants, even with alien fucking technology. That's why Batman's better than Superman. He doesn't have any real fucking weaknesses. Other than being a human, possibly stabbed, shot, run through like a paper shredder, you know, put in the graveyard shift where there's a fucking monster that's gonna eat his fucking face. Stuff like that. But Batman's also fucking smart and won't do that. He's beaten Superman plenty of times. And all it took was fucking Martha to make sure that they'd always be friends forever. Maybe that's what Kaneda and Tetsuo need. They need a Martha moment. They just need that, like, what was the name of your first dog from your cousin in the third grade? Oh, it was Martha. Great, me too. And now they're friends for life and he will no longer be a dick to poor Kaneda. But right now, he's a fucking dick to Kaneda, okay? So he goes off and leaving everybody to wonder where exactly he's gone. And that's where the little grandma girl, she pipes up and she explains what exactly Tetsuo was planning on doing. How could this have happened? Damn it! Where are my men at? He's developed so much power in such a short time, it's unbelievable. Find him! Start searching for Tetsuo! Kaneda, quick! Come on, get up! Tetsuo went to where Akira is. What? That's good. You're all safe. He's heading for the facility below the Olympic construction site. He went there. How do you find out about it? Damn it! You're saying that he's managed to escape? All right, then we'll follow him. You men, look alive there. Move those bodies. Get this place in order. Prepare for pursuit. He's heading west toward the stadium. It was you. So that's when Kay realizes that the creepy grandma lady was talking through her. And that's also when they get put into the military prison for the time being. Because Connie Day is knocked the fuck out with the whole explosion and all the rubble and everything that he got thrown away because of the psychic powers that Tetsuo has. We see the colonel, he starts to walk out with the rest of his military, and he wants to go after Tetsuo right here, right now, and he ultimately gets kind of blockaded for a second, where Parliament starts to tell him that, hey, we're the ones that are going to be in charge now, and you're being relieved of your post. And what he d- does he decide to do? Well, he decides that it's time to stage a military coup, take over the government, and then try to stop Tetsuo. According to the security team, reviews of tapes showed five intruders disguised as workers entered into the wiring shaft. Besides the two back I there, have to stop him before his powers shot. mature. Your objective is the boy, Tatsuo Shima. If we are unable to capture him, we'll lure him out to the old city and attack. Request assistance from the Eastern District Battalion. Yes, sir! Tell them there isn't a moment to lose here. I've been waiting here a long time, Colonel. What are you doing here? 
I'm here to inform you tonight of the Supreme Executive Council's decision. At 2400 hours today, the Colonel is hereby stripped of his command and rank, and shall be placed under arrest. What the hell? Kindly accompany us now. You really expect me to hand Neo Tokyo over to those fools at a time like this? Shoot him! Yes, sir! What? Uh, no, wait! Hold on! No! Enough! Open your eyes and look at the big picture! You're all puppets of corrupt politicians and capitalists! Don't you understand? It's utterly pointless to fight each other! Well, he's totally right, and I love his, like, solution there. It's just like, oh, you're gonna strip me of my command? Well, hey, guess what? They're all gonna still follow me, because they all fucking believe in me, and they don't fucking believe in you, so shoot the fucker. And then one of his guys shoots the fucker, and then his help shoots the guy that shot the guy. It's kind of messed up that you're probably gonna get one of your own soldiers killed, but at the same time, it shows the power that he actually has and the belief in him that everybody has where he's able to just do that and the guy's just like, okay, boom, and shoots the guy. It's fucking nuts. But he's totally right and he says, look at what we're doing. We shouldn't be fighting amongst each other. There's a fucking threat out there and this is when you're going to fucking do it? And he doesn't know at the same time that it's been orchestrated in this way. So he's there, they go take off, and then we see that... Tetsuo has gone back into the ghetto where we first started in that bar where the guy who was selling drinks but also was selling drugs at the same time in the name of capsules hence I guess where the capsule name comes from uh, and he's going in there because he's still having the headaches and everything like that and he thinks that the drugs that the guy has will enable him to control his powers and control the things that are happening with his body but Ultimately, he gets a little zealous, and he does decide to take out one of the members of the Capsule Gang. What's up? You're alone? That's right. Weren't you in an accident? Your friends have been really worried. You okay? Give me some... capsules. What? Are you sure you want capsules, son? You look kinda woozy. You better get them now. Huh. <laughs> All right, whatever the customer wants, you know, but with all those terrorist attacks lately and the demonstrations, things are pretty rough. In fact, they're hard to come by, so the price is pretty expensive, right? Tetsuo's run off somewhere. Kanit has disappeared. Damn, I guess the team is finished. And the checkpoints are so strict these days. Ah, even the clowns are laying low. Ah. <laughs> What, what the hell happened? Oh. Look at that! Ah. <laughs> He's dead! What? <laughs> Who's that? Huh? <laughs> it's Tetsuo. Why are you here? You did this, didn't you? Look who's here. Wanna pop one? What the hell are you talking about? You look like a damn crackhead! Talk sense! What happened here? Did you notice that the owner's dead? <laughs> a fish out of water dies, huh? Are you... Tetsuo? Or someone else? Huh? Kaneda sends his warmest regards. You saw Kaneda? Where is he? He's probably dead by now. 
Kai was right. You did this, didn't you? All you're good for now is telling me where Kaneda's bike is. Tetsuo! It's a piece of shit anyway. You son of a bitch! <sighs> <sighs> So the, you get this really creepy laugh at a Tetsuo once he's killed Yamagata. Uh, and there isn't anything, I think more actually happens off screen than what we know. Because he's kind of just thrown off. And I have a feeling with the laugh and the creepy look on his fucking face that he probably blows him up as well. Because later when we run into the other guy who happens to be named Kai, he seems super distraught over what happened to him exactly. We also know that in that scene that he didn't also kill Yamagata, but he also killed the bar owner himself after he got whatever he got from him. From there, we cut over and we see that Kai and Kanida are inside of the cell, and they begin talking about exactly what Akira is, and then she does get taken over once again by Creepy Grandma Girl, and they manage to escape from the cell because of it. So is he off to find Akira? Yes, that's what that girl was saying. Now the army, Ryu, and yourself are all trying at once to find this Akira guy. And that's also why you're chasing after Tetsuo. It must have to do with the powers he's got. Uh, what the hell is this Akira thing, huh? I asked Ryu one time. He told me that Akira is ultimate energy. Ultimate energy? Humans do all kinds of things during their lifetime, right? Discovering things. Building things. Things like houses, high-speed trains, motorcycles, bridges and cities, rockets. So where do you suppose all that knowledge and energy comes from? Humans were once like monkeys, right? And before that, like reptiles and fish. And even before that, plankton and amoebas. Even little creatures like those have incredible amounts of energy inside them. Oh, yes, sir. Oh, it's in the genes, right? And even before that, maybe there was genetic material in the air and water. Even in the particles of dust in space. And if that's the truth, then what sort of memories are hidden within them? The beginning of the universe, or maybe even before that. What's with all the crazy talk? Are you sure you're okay? Listen to ya. Or did you get bonked on the head back there? And what if everyone shares those ancient memories? What if there were some mistakes in the progression? Then something goes wrong like an amoeba is suddenly given the higher powers that a human has. Akira is an amoeba then? Amoebas don't build their own houses and bridges, do they? They just devour all the food they can find around them. Is that what Tetsuo's doing? Are you saying he has that kind of energy? Long ago, there were people who tried to gain control of that power. That is all at the government's request. But they failed in their attempt, and it triggered the fall of Tokyo. And, and that, that power is... something, something that, that is totally beyond our... <laughs> the door's unlocked. So the use this opportunity after learning a little bit more about what Akira is. And he's not necessarily a god, but again, he's another form of, guess, human evolution. And there's a lot of this when it comes to anime itself. And it's not just because of, like, religious reasons or whatever it is, but there seems to be, like, a focus. The best way I can kind of guess, like, or, like, think about it, not necessarily guess about it, but think about it is, like, DC versus Marvel, right? Marvel, it seems like these people, yeah, they're mutants or whatever they are, and they're, you know, it's, it is a different 
form like they're everyday people and they're not necessarily like an evolution some of them believe that they are but not everybody necessarily does right it's something that they are just kind of like everyday people with extraordinary abilities where it seems sometimes at least what i get out of some of the dc stuff these people are like metahumans or whatever you want to call them but they are and i know there's probably people are going to yell at me or whatever it is but that's fine uh but they are a higher class or an evolution of the human being, right? At least that's the way it seems like they're presented. There are magical beings and there are space beings and there's all other things. But if we look at like the core people, a lot of them with Batman aside, <laughs> they're like an evolution of humanity or an evolution of the species rather than just being a regular guy that somehow has this or just want to be seen like regular people that has a capability here and that's kind of where i see a lot of things in anime and there's a lot of talk about it and especially when you play like jrpgs for example there is a lot of talk about that i'm gonna be greater than god or i'm gonna be i'm the next stage in human evolution when it comes to the bad guys right but it does it a lot in times in terms of other series in there too one of my favorite ones uh, that kind of goes through this is neon genesis evangelion if we want to use an anime as an example where you have these people that it, they're trying to get the human instrumentality project and if i said that wrong i'm sorry but the reason they're trying to do that is uh to evolve to the next stage of whatever human or life is going to be and the angels that constantly attack and try to get it merged with adam there or lilith um i always forget which one is, is coming off the dome but they're the ones that could cause the whole thing to do the next stage of human evolution and so it's the same that we have kind of going on here except for the people that everybody has this ability in them so it's not necessarily the like advanced humans everybody can evolve but everybody can evolve either at different times or they can evolve differently and these five people that we know of right now with between akira boss baby uh creepy grandma looking girl gaunt looking child and tetsuo between all of them they're the only ones that have been able to evolve but they all are controlling their powers differently we don't know if Akira, he couldn't control his powers and that's why it happened or he tried to cause something that made it, you know, the destruction exactly happen and he was stopped while he was trying to do that. We know that Tetsuo, because of his background, because he was so dependent on people and he was so beat as a child and teased and uh, I wouldn't say beat by like, you know family were beat up by other kids and and treated poorly he gets this and he gets really power hungry because of it he's like all of a sudden that that's what he needs because you know he's able to fight back now because he has the power nobody's ever going to be doing this stuff and so he's doing it in the wrong way rather than thinking of it as a gift and an ascension he thinks of it as power and control because he's never had that before so we have and i could be totally wrong with that but that's just my interpretation of the whole thing so now the military is on the hunt for tetsuo and kanida and k they both go back into the you know ghetto area i guess to follow 
Tetsuo around as well, they run into Kai, and Kai explains to them that Yamagata has been killed. What? Yamagata's dead? Something seems strange about him the second I saw his face. It's odd, he was wearing what looked like a white hospital gown. He acted like a different person. Yamagata asked him if he was really Tetsuo or if he was someone else. And then he... Yamagata, why? We've always been together. I've known everything about him ever... ever since we were in the children's home together. They tease. Everybody tried to make him cry. So this is where we get a little more of what, like, Kaneda feels for Tetsuo. He really does feel for him like he's like an older brother or he's a sibling. And he feels bad for him because everybody teased him and everybody did, like, stuff to him. And he understands why he's getting to this point. But he doesn't necessarily agree with the way that it goes. We see him grab Yamagata's bike and jump on it and say that he's going to return his bike to him. Which includes him riding as fast as he can towards a wall, jumping off of it and letting the bike explode and then walking away as it flames over in the corner. Uh, probably leading to something being burned down because there's a lot of gas still probably in that bike unless, you know, it's future bike and future bikes don't blow up and cause giant citywide fires or anything like that. Uh, he looks over at Kai and he sees the gaunt kid approach her and she has now gone to a trance and she's once again being controlled by the creepy grandma girl and is taken off to the distance to where she suddenly disappears. That's where Kaneda runs after her, thinks that he's like she's walking on the water, and he tries to walk after her, but the sewer water is really deep, and so he falls right in. He gets mad, starts splashing around, but the little creepy grandma girl talks to him and explains exactly what he's well, what she is going to use K for. You're the one, right? You changed my friend, didn't you? The thing about Akira's power is it exists within everyone from the start. Hey, who is that? Huh? But when that power is awakened inside, it is important to wisely choose how to use it. When the time comes, you might not know it, let alone be prepared for it. Your friend has already made his choice. Tetsuo is our newest companion. He's our friend also. His actions are out of control, and for that we're partly to blame, too. Great! Then what in the hell did you take K for? We're hoping she'll be able to help us in some way. They're people, not toys! Bring her back to me! And Tetsuo's our friend, not yours! If someone's gonna kill him, it should be us! I kind of like that statement, more or less like, look, we are the ones that have been dealing with him for all this time, and he's the one that's fucked over us just as much as he's fucked over you, and the fact that she considers him a friend because they all share the same power, and... He really is the only one that knows what it's like to be there with those powers. But Tetsuo, you know, should really be killed by Kanida. From here we cut over to the mansion of the rat face guy. And we see that somebody's talking on a phone and l explaining that the military coup has begun. And they've already begun killing off members of the parliament and slowly taking everything over. We see that one of the other members of parliament is there and he's trying to burn records inside the fireplace. The rat boy, he's starting to get all panicky and take some of his medication. He's grabbing onto his heart. 
because something is going wrong or causing him to get a lot of agita and thinking about what is coming down the pipeline for him if the military actually does come and take over his place. We cut over and we see that he's now packing all of his monies like bonds and everything into a briefcase and they pan over to the bathroom and the other two members of parliament have killed themselves and are sitting in the bathtub. Well, we don't know if they've killed themselves or if it's possible that Ratboy has actually been the one to kill them and then he put them in the bathroom and tried to escape with all the money and try to get out of the city before anything bad could possibly happen to him. As he's trying to escape, Ryu suddenly shows up and he starts, Rat Boy starts to panic and say, we're not supposed to be seen in the same place, but he's basically coming and saying, look, my best men have been killed. We couldn't do what you needed to do. I need your help. I need to either, maybe he needs to get away too, or what should we do? You're the one in charge. But it seems like Rat Boy's been trying to play both sides because he's more worried about keeping his money and getting out alive than helping out Ryu and actually doing anything for the resistance. See, it's all just a ploy to get the military guy, get the colonel out of the his job, and then allow them to have complete control over Neo-Tokyo. So really, what the colonel was doing was protecting the people's interest and was protecting them against the corrupt politicians that were causing these riots in the first place. So... Ryu's there asking for help and Ratboy decides that he needs to get rid of the problem so he shoots Ryu and then leaves the house. We cut out and we see that one of the military tanks has now busted through the gates and uh, we see him trying to run away. He ultimately can't do anything about, he keeps taking this heart medication but it gets to the point that it doesn't help him anymore. He has a heart attack and he dies. Ryu is seen walking past his body, bleeding from the gunshot that he received from Ratboy, and then when he gets to the edge of the street, he gets down to his knees and he dies as the crowds are walking past him. We see the military in the streets and the tanks and everything set up because they're looking for Tetsuo, and we see Tetsuo fly down into the screen and he grabs a cape. Now, if we know one thing and one thing only... You don't go after capes, man. You know something bad is going to happen if you're starting to think of yourself like a superhero and you wear a fucking cape. The moment the military comes by you with a jet or with a fucking helicopter, you're going to get sucked into that shit and you're going to get spat out as little pieces. Though, maybe because of his psycho powers, he might be able to protect himself. Who the fuck knows? But don't wear fucking capes. That's fucking amateur school. There's a really awesome scene that comes up as he's walking down and one of the tanks is told to fire on him, and he does, and when he fires on him, he stops the shell midair, and it blows it up right in front of him. It's a fucking fantastically animated scene, and it's you know, one of the fun action scenes they get in the film. He keeps walking along, all the followers of Akira, of Lord Akira the Enlightened, uh, now... They think that he has become Akira and he's leading them to glory. So they all begin following him. And you see the Afro guy from earlier in the film when they were talking about the people that believe in Akira. There was this white guy with an Afro that was chanting about him. And he's on his little pedestal as people are like basically carrying that pedestal along, falling behind uh, Tetsuo here. And when they get to a bridge, there's a bunch of military men with laser rifles, like battery-powered laser rifles, that fire on him. Tetsuo 
like bends the lasers out of the way and they manage to kill a couple of the guys behind them instead that are part of the worshippers to the point that he destroys the bridge killing both military men and these followers at the same exact time. He eventually does make it over to where Akira is buried underneath the Olympic Stadium that's being built and when he gets down inside of it and he actually gets to Akira's place that he's being held, he's confronted by Kay, who is now being controlled by uh, one of the uh, espers that were there earlier. And she is now kind of growing with her own psychic powers and is able to actually kind of hold her own against Tetsuo in the ensuing fight. But ultimately, Tetsuo is actually able to open up the cage that Akira is placed in and he notices something that's really fucking weird once he does open up and it looks like that fucking dragon ball uh tr you know the little travel balls that the saiyans use to go everywhere it looks exactly like that and when it opens up he notices there's something a little odd about akira what the hell is this that is akira before you tattoo that's the akira you wanted to meet there is your messiah the chosen one that you've been looking for not long after his transcendental awakening, his organs and tissues were subjected to every test known to modern science. He's dead. That's it. What you see now lying there is all that's left of him. And all of the scientists back then were unable to solve the mystery. So they decided to entrust all of their collected data and test samples to future generations by preserving them in frozen capsules and locking them away. Soul. We will use Soul. Huh? <laughs> Akira has been dead all this time, and now you know the truth. Well, are you satisfied now, Tetsuo? <laughs> So the military decides to prepare Soul, which is a giant laser weapon that's out in space, kind of like the Hammer of Dawn from the Gears of War series. While they're preparing to get everything uh, set up to take out Tetsuo, Kanida, he drives up in his motorcycle, and before he goes and faces Tetsuo, he grabs a laser rifle from one of the dead military men as he goes inside the base. As he rides up, he calls out Tetsuo's name, and they start a little battle for what seems to start the third act of the film. What's wrong? Have some trouble? Yeah, but I already took care of it. And you're too late. You missed the show. Tetsuo, you had me worried again. I figured you'd be standing here sobbing like a little baby. Kanita, you've always been a pain in the ass, you know. You've been telling me what to do since we were kids. You always treat me like a kid. You always show up and start bossing me around, and don't you deny it! And now you're a boss, too! Of this pile of rubble. Kaneda! That's Mr. Kaneda to you, punk! So the fight ensues with Kaneda using his laser rifle to shoot at Tetsuo as he flies around. It's actually a really well done scene. And I really just, like, enjoy the dodges and the plays. And you get one good shot off by Hanida, and he actually hits him. And when he tries to get him the next time, you know, Tetsuo is ready and is able to block everything. 
And then when he starts going after K, K kind of pops up and tries to deflect or also get involved within the fight, being controlled by one of the Esper girls. Uh, and when she does that, he, like, Kaneda comes out and then gets a direct shot right at Tetsuo's heart. But the problem is, he's run out of juice. So, he doesn't have any battery life left. It just leaves a little burn on his shirt. Tetsuo laughs. Kaneda gets pissed off and he's like, God damn it, why can't you just fight with your fucking hands like we always used to? I'll show you what's up. It's not fair that you have these psychic powers and I don't. To which Tetsuo just starts laughing. He's just like, well, it doesn't matter. I got him, so I'm going to fucking kill you. And that's going to be the end of it. And as he's sitting there, or standing there, I should say, and laughing, all of a sudden, this blue light starts forming around him. He's like, what? Huh, what's going on? And the fucking hammer of dawn comes down and the giant laser fucking fries the area that they're in with no regard to what's happening with Kanye there and with Kay there. But it ultimately doesn't do enough, but it does manage to take off uh, Tetsuo's right arm. So now that he's armless and all of a sudden the, you know, soul is just firing down trying to get them, and eventually it's going to get them again, but Tetsuo actually saves he and Kani does life because he's able to put a protective barrier around the two because the shot would have killed Tetsuo at the same time. Tetsuo flies up into space and actually goes in there, and I love the way that this is done because when he goes into space, everything is dampened. You still get some sound. It's not like it's completely gone, uh, but... It's very, very low and dampened, and even when the thing explodes, it's crazy that there isn't these loud noises, but they were kind of what they would expect you to hear actually in space. Back down on the ground, we see that uh, the colonel, he's looking out into the sky, and one of the army guys tells him, though, that soul falling to the earth, and Tetsuo decides to have his whole place, like, set over there, in now the Olympic Stadium, kind of as his, like, I guess, like, uh, lair. I guess that's the best way to say it. Because he puts all of, like, Akira's remains. And Akira is all body parts at this point. And there's all different organs that are put in these glass tubes. And he puts them behind him in the throne that he's made. Before he completely sets all of that up, though, he has to create himself a new arm. Because his right arm is now completely gone. And he, this is one again, one of the most beautifully animated scenes in the entire movie because you see everything come together. You see the flesh come together uh, from made from you know steel and stone, and it's just so well animated that I'm amazed every time I see this scene just because it is completely hand drawn and it looks absolutely beautiful. So while he's reconstructing his arm, the doctor that's been, you know, studying him and, and basically working with the espers, he's noticing that the wavelengths are so, like, in tune to what Akira's doing, and it seems like they've gotten, like, stronger over time. Now, we've kind of looked at these, and I've really talked about it very much within the film, but the doctor that works with the colonel... He is, like, measuring Akira's, like, pattern against Tetsuo. And that's how they kind of put two and two together. And you have it, and you see when the colonel said earlier, if something happens, like, if it gets worse, 
We need to just take him out. Like, if he becomes stronger, that's what we need to do. Don't try to study him anymore. It's not for the sake of him. It's the sake of everybody else that he should be destroyed. And he should not be here anymore. Because we know what exactly happened with Akira earlier on. Right? 31 years ago. And so he's noticed that everything has gone, like, batshit, off the rails, crazy... But he's all about the data. He just wants to make sure, you know, we could learn so much from this guy. And that's when the colonel approaches the doctor once again after failing with the soul, like, cannon that was up there. That, you know, what the fuck are you doing? I told you to do something. And basically, the doctor is in trouble. What's Tetsuo's status, doctor? Ah, colonel. Uh, we set up a camera in the stadium if you want to check. Uh, we have him under observation. Colonel, you must take a look at this data. It's phenomenal. We're still analyzing the energy given off by the subject, but it's just magnificent. Oh, yes, wonderful. Of course, this is clearly a proton collapse. We're also detecting a fair number of what we believe to be unknown particles to science. If we can put this into a theoretical framework, then physics, quantum physics... Humanity itself could know the fundamental truths. Uh, uh, well, you see, we still haven't finished making our adjustments. Uh, wait, Colonel, please! What the? The pattern! You bastard! Uh, what did uh, I tell you? Uh, but, Colonel, I, I couldn't throw away such a magnificent subject. Ah, uh, shut up! So the doctor gets thrown around the room and he's in deep shit because he's now matching the patterns of Akira on that day 31 years ago. So there's a possibility that the same shit is going to happen once again. And that's something the colonel has been trying to fight against. So the colonel decides that he's going to take matters into his own hands, grabs a gun, and starts walking to where Tetsuo now has his lair. Now at the same time, Kaori has like somehow seen him on the news when he was on the bridge back there and he was fighting against the other military men she recognized him and she started following him i don't know how she knew exactly where he was or if the you know the the, the military shut down the media where the media tried to fly it around and show what was going on but they got shut down by the military because of the coup and the fact that they don't want anybody going anywhere near where Tetsuo is going to be. But somehow, Kaori, she's managed to get over into the area. So she goes and she sees the thing that's been set up at the same time that the colonel is arriving there slowly but surely. She hears somebody crying in the corner and it turns out to be Tetsuo and she tries to comfort him and then... The colonel himself shows up and tries to tell him that, look, you need to get help, you need to come with us, and we'll make you feel all better. Tetsuo, why is everyone calling you Akira? What does it mean? It means nothing. He never existed. It doesn't matter who he is, they don't care. Just so long as he destroys things. What's that? Your arm, look at it! Well, it doesn't look like much, but it still works pretty good. <laughs> What's wrong? Are you okay? <laughs> it's nothing! Tetsuo, I just- Shut up! Just go away! Huh? 
medicine. What's wrong, Tetsuo? Are you in pain? Huh? Go back to the lab and get that medicine. Doctor, did you hear that? I did, Colonel. Well, any signs of it? Well, I can't be entirely certain here, but it seems that the power which had been held back by the drugs is breaking free. He may not be able to control the power that has awakened so suddenly. He's in an extremely critical condition. Come back to the lab and receive proper treatment. If you don't, you may die. <laughs> you want me to enroll in your kindergarten and live happily ever after, huh? Be quiet and do what you're told? Take your medicine every day and then end up all shriveled like those kids? So he starts becoming like... His arm it becomes uncontrollable, right? It starts becoming this weird mix of flesh and metal because of the things that he's assimilated to become his new arm. It also shows all the metal parts that now have been assimilated as a part of him start reaching out over like the throne that he's sitting on and all the metal, like the circuitry, starts going into the stone that's there. Again, it looks really, really awesome, especially when all the flesh and everything kind of pop up, and that's what really freaks out Kaori. Uh, and he's able to bring it back at that point and kind of control it, but as the doctor said, he's probably not going to be able to control it anytime soon, because the psychic powers are just starting to awaken in him. They're very strong, and he's using them in the wrong way. If he was actually taught how to use them, he might have been able to control it, still be as powerful as he is, but the power has gotten to his head because he wanted to get revenge on everybody and find out who this Akira is who's going to possibly make him an even stronger person than what he is right now. And so, since he can't control these things, he's starting to lash out at everybody, which includes the, you know, the colonel here as well as Kaori. And that's when, you know, there's a shot from far away... And we see that Kanida has saved the colonel from being attacked because he's powered up the uh, the rifle that he had and the batteries he had with Kai's bike, not his. And when he goes in to attack, he gets the first shot off, but he's not able to get any more. And then all of a sudden, we see that Tetsuo can no longer control his powers and he starts becoming this really grotesque figure and this is the other thing that a lot of people pretty much remember and was parodied really well on South Park while well, two South Park represents in like one episode uh, but there is one where <laughs> the trapper keeper from the future comes and starts like becomes the blood and starts assimilating everything into it and it looks like the kira thing that's going on but it's a mixture of a bunch of different things but there is one scene in this that matches the scene in the movie uh that happened there but that one involved rosie o'donnell and this one involves kaori instead so he starts turning into this giant blob of a thing and we see that the other espers have also arrived notice that He's no longer in control of what's going on, and they decide to go over to where Akira is and begin praying. That's when uh, the uncontrollable like body gore as well as transformation from what he was to this weird like baby figure 
of weird things of flesh and fingers. Like you see, he reaches out with like a hand and each of those hands have like a toe or like a finger that comes off of them. It's beautifully disgusting. Again, this is one of those things. This is what almost everybody else remembers about this film if they've seen this film is this scene in particular when he transforms into this weird grotesque figure. And so he starts grabbing everybody Kanida tries to fight back, but he does manage to grab both Kaori and he sucks in Kanida, and that's where he does something really unspeakable to poor Kaori. Kaori! Kaori! Tetsuo! Are you there? Kaori! Kaori's gonna die! What? What did you say? My body's not doing what I tell it to! My power is acting on its own! Gaudi! Gaudi's ah! dying! Kanida, help me! Stop this, Tetsuo! Stop it now! Gaudi's pain is coming into me! So she gets crushed within the flesh and he's like, she's gonna die. And then you get a close-up of, not really a super close-up, but a, a image of the area that she's in and the flesh is just like consuming and crushing. And all you see is her cry out, her arm reach, and then it just turns red when she's completely crushed and her body is drained of all of its blood and it goes directly into Tetsuo's system to where he can actually feel her dying and feel her pain. Uh, Kanida is almost crushed as well, but he's able to get an arm out and he's able to use the laser to cut himself out of the, the, the weird flesh monster thing. And we see the kids that they're there, they're praying to Akira and... All of a sudden, we see that the colonel is about to be engulfed as well. And it's weird because when he's going to be engulfed by all the different things, there's like a, a mouth that opens up and looks like it's going to eat him. But the next time we see him, when things start changing back around, he is like... The mouth has gone and he's just got flesh around him. Like, it was a mouth with, like, sharp teeth. And I really thought that it was going to, like, bite down on his arm or bite down on him and kill him or something like that. But it doesn't. Because all of a sudden, Akira, like, kind of comes out of nowhere. And we see Tetsuo, like, start to shrink back and instead become, like, part of this light. And the flesh, sh like, shrinks away and... Uh, the colonel is teleported outside of the area to a place where they tell him to go inside of this tunnel and that way that he's going to be able to escape and not be harmed by what's coming next. We see that Tetsuo, he's crying out to Kanida. He hasn't quite yet like gotten back down to himself, but this white light is going to engulf them. The gaunt kid comes out and tells Kanida, he says, look, just escape. You need to get away from here. Nothing, you know, good will happen to you if you try to go in after him and save him. And he's like, no, I have to. Like, I have to end this. Like, even though they're fighting against each other, and the reason that he's going to kill him is because, you know, he's become this monster. But he really just wants to stop him to save him from himself. And he goes in after him, and he gets engulfed by the light. And then the gaunt kid, like, he's told by the boss baby and the uh the weird looking grandma creepy girl that 
he shouldn't go after them because they're not powerful enough right now to come back. And he says, fuck it, we're not going to go. But the other espers realize that the three of them can actually save Kanida. So they're basically taken to like another plane of existence. This is where it's a little weird. Like I get the whole body dysmorphia thing and that, you know, he can't control his powers. So that's why he becomes what he becomes. And that everything up to this point, I kind of understand. Past this point, this is like the epilogue point. You learn a little bit more about Tetsuo, like when he was a kid, and you learn a little more of what happened with the the boss baby, the gaunt kid, and the creepy grandma girl, as well as Akira before the whole incident that happened 31 years ago. So they've been around for this long and stuck inside those bodies, and honestly, that kind of fucking sucks. So she really is a creepy old grandma if that's the way things have gone. So... They go into the past, basically, or into this parallel world, and Kanida gets kind of a vision of everything that's going on, including a little bit about Tetsuo's past memories. You see that? You're not revving your engine enough already. When you go into a corner, lean in suicidally. Got it? Now watch. What the hell do you call that? Cornering, man. <laughs> you got it, Tetsuo? Is he a transfer student? His mom and dad left him. You can see it in his face. Are these... Are these all of your dreams and memories, Tetsuo? So, yeah, there's a little bit... Like, the first thing that he experiences... Something that he taught him about riding a motorcycle... And actually drifting around corners and stuff. These are all the things that are inside of his mind... And what he actually cherishes onto. And a lot of it happens to be the time with him and Kanida... Which is weird again why he thinks about it that way. And it's possibly just the power that's kind of overwhelming him and making him kind of drunk on revenge of what he can do. Because all of a sudden he's captured, now he's got psychic powers and everybody wants to do stuff to him without actually telling him what the hell is going on. And they never really do explain things until he goes after the kids who tried to kill him at one point. And, like, instead of them coming through and being like, look, this is what you got, this is the problem. And I know that he blames the Gaunt Kid for basically causing this, because if it wasn't for that accident, then Tetsuo's powers would have probably never awakened in the first place. But you got to admit that he should be able to just 
I don't know, deal with it. But he's had kind of a fucked up childhood uh, from what we can understand. Kanata, though, he continues to see other visions. And one of the things that he sees is actually what happens to the kids before the whole incident that, that kind of started World War III. Or it was Akira's first awakening, I guess, is probably the better way to think about that. He sees the different experiments that they went through. He sees where they're just like a regular classroom to be actually put to sleep, to be looked at and opened up and decide if they were weird creatures or they were actually human beings to the point that they had all their little psychic games to the point that one of the kids, and I don't know if it was like the boss baby or was Akira, it's one of those two, actually blows up a TV and everybody seems like they're like not cool with what's going on right now and then when that happens, everybody kind of cheers up. And that leaves Kanye to believe that whether or not what he's seeing is actually Akira. Is this Akira? Yes, we called him here to the three of us. He's going to take Tetsuo with him. Take him where? Where? It's too much for Tetsuo. And for the three of us also. And for Akira too. It's way too big for us, as we are now. But someday, we ought to be able to... Because it has already begun. Your friend, Chief. My friend? Kay! It's Kay you're talking about! So that's where we kind of get the inkling right there that Kay actually has some type of psychic abilities and is the reason why a couple of times we've heard her call out his name and is able to reach him inside of this world. So... They're trying to figure out a way to get him out of there because the world that's being built there is not big enough for everybody. And in fact, or is it too big? I think that the, the message actually is that it's too vast, too large for just them. And they were hoping that they would be more mature in their powers to actually do something. And the fact that Tetsuo is going to stay there with everybody and hopefully evolve himself to become something, something more. So we get one last scene before he's finally saved, and that is the very first meeting between uh, Tetsuo and Akira. They're always like that with the new kids. Hey, you came today, right? They beat me up too. But the truth is, those guys are wimps. My name is Tetsuo. Tetsuo Shima. <laughs> the truth is, I just got here myself. My name is... Kaneda. Kaneda. Kaneda! Okay. And we see that Kaneda, he's basically on the outskirts of the city now. And we see the giant white light. And it starts to expand a little bit, but then it starts to contract back in on itself. And starts getting smaller and smaller. And we see the doctor from before, and he's looking at all of his data, and he just can't believe what he's seeing. He looks down, and everything as it's getting smaller, he looks and he says, is this the birth of the universe? So basically, they're creating a whole new world for them. And we see that the doctor, he gets smushed. Man, all these people getting smushed now for some reason. But he gets smushed within his like vehicle that's out there, that little mobile lab that they've got. 
and he gets swallowed up into everything. Whether he gets killed, I don't know, because unlike Coyote, he doesn't necessarily, like, there's no blood, but you definitely see all the metal and everything, like, it get crushed into a small little ball, and he's probably gone. Everything collapses down really, really small and falls directly into Kanida's hands, therefore creating another parallel universe and disappearing all entirely, leaving the city of Neo-Tokyo now in a complete mess and completely destroyed. We have Kanida and Kei and uh, Kai, they all meet each other once again and celebrate that they've all survived and that it's a brand new day. We see the colonel come out of the tunnel, and he is, sees the sunset raising over now-destroyed Neo-Tokyo, and the film itself ends with a little message from the Espers and Tetsuo, who I'll explain what happens based upon what he says at the ending here. Tetsuo. Kaneda, what is it? Thank you. Huh? You called me, didn't you? And I heard you. Ah. Uh, Kaneda! Oh, my! Where's Tetsuo? He just left. Those kids did, too. Akira also. Kaneda, back then... Or did you just... What? Kaneda! You're alive! I thought you were in there. I thought you were in there for sure. Tetsuo! What happened to Tetsuo? Is he dead? I'm not sure. Something... Oh. Uh. But someday, we ought to be able to... Because it has already begun. I am. Tetsuo. that was Akira. So at the end, he says, I am Tetsuo. And he's very calm and he's very reserved. And now the general thought process in it, and it's kind of based upon what you see at the end too. You see that when that part pops up, and I did shorten some of the silence because it was like really long in between everybody speaking. So it seems like it's a little rushed. That's why. Uh, but they're all there and they're all saying something and then when he finally does speak he's really calm 
And the interpretation that a lot of people have is that he's finally become in control of his powers and he starts the Big Bang for that universe, therefore becoming kind of like a godlike figure to the other parallel dimension. And maybe what they're thinking is that, you know, someday we'll be able to actually populate this dimension and make it our own. But it's a little ambiguous. I mean, if that's the way that it is, or they say that, you know, it's already in motion, then that's kind of what's going on at that moment. So it's left ambiguous, a little into interpretation, but I think what some of the things I read out there is probably based on like what they're trying to represent from the manga to this. It may not be, could be totally different. Like I said, I've never read the Akira manga and that if I remember correctly, the ending of the manga wasn't finished by the time the movie was. So what you have in the movie is quite possibly a lot different than what you're actually getting here. It's definitely going to be more involved than it was in the original film, but it's still something that's very open-ended. And I'm still, I still get a little confused in some of the stuff that, like reading things and kind of talking through things, I have a better grasp of what it is, but just watching it and not really delving into it it's hard to be like well what the fuck happened there like everything kind of made sense and then all of a sudden you got crazy fucking milk bears and you know people exploding and psychic battles like it's fucking scanners or something like that and it's just it's fun and it's entertaining it's just where the fuck is this going uh until you get this really weird ending where he becomes a giant blob fucking monster flesh man baby thing and then all of a sudden he's gone we're in this weird trippy like prologue or not prologue epilogue i meant to say where you know it's showing the creation of another universe i would have never really gotten that it's what i've had to you know go out there read and make an interpretation from I don't know like this always confused me when I was young and it still confused me up until I really did you know a little more research to trying to see exactly what might have happened at the end and you know what I could be totally wrong this could be something totally different uh, or it could be exactly what I'm talking about you know based upon somebody say reading the script or doing something like that so this film is a highly entertaining film uh, if not just for the concepts, for the animation, for the action scenes that are done in the film, uh, it's just, it's trippy enough and it's mind blowing enough. And the fact that it's from 1988, something that's 31 years old now, uh, just blows my mind that the quality of it can still remain the same as it did when I first saw it. And I must've seen it back in the nineties when it first hit TV because I never saw this out in the theaters um, and I can't pinpoint the exact moment when I saw it but again this was another one of those one of the three films that were always out there whenever I watched more adult films and, and I kept thinking about other adult films uh, cartoons that I saw later that were more like US based and one of them that pops up is Wizards uh, which is a fantastic film as well and it's ultra-violent in spots, um, and it has this message in it that, you know, is another one of those films that you'd see on TV from time to time, 
but it wasn't played as much as this one was. It's the same thing with something like Fire and Ice, where that's a great fantasy animated film, but it wasn't really out there. And I know there's things like uh, Fitz the Cat or whatever its name is that's really off the wall and truly adult with fucking nude cats fucking, but it is what it is. (laughs) So overall, what would I give this film? Well, the gore, it's a 5 out of 5. There are some really disturbing fucking goring images in this film. It's not necessarily great for kids, um, unless they've grown up quite a bit, or they've grown up watching a lot of horror. Uh, and I mean like a lot of like cheesy horror, not like realistic, uh, straight up stuff. But, you know, it is animated, so eh, at your own risk, but it's definitely very, very gory in some very, very explicit ways. The crap factor on this, it's a 2 out of 5. I feel that it moves a little too slow in the beginning and then a little too fast at the end. I think the runtime is a little bit too long. And I don't normally say that when I really enjoy a film. But I think they could have, you know, made a little shorter in the beginning. They had a lot more source material for the beginning of the movie and not so much for the ending of the movie. So that's something that could have actually hurt the film in general. Uh, Did it? I don't know. But to me... It's It could be truncated just a little bit. Two hours and four minutes is pretty goddamn long for a movie such as this. Uh, the other thing is some of the voice acting, you know, overall, I think it's pretty good. It's weird when you're watching it versus just listening to it, because it doesn't sound so bad when you're listening to it on a pair of headphones or like in this podcast. But when you're watching it, because of the way the mouths move and because they're trying to match it to what's going on on the screen, it can be a little bit distracting. And there's a couple characters that I didn't play in here that they just, eh, they're okay, they're not the best. But you know what? Eh, two out of five is not very bad when it comes to a crap factor. Fun factor of this film, it's a five out of five. Like I said, I really like the characters. I really like the story. I really like going into it further. Kanida is such an interesting character. Tetsuo is such a tragic character that it's worth watching the interactions between the two of them. I have grown to like the Colonel a lot more than I did in the original watchings of this. I think delving deeper into his character and his motives is a lot makes him a lot better and more altruistic than some of the other characters. Um, and then, you know, there's some things that are just throwaways. Like, I think Ryu probably has a much bigger role in the manga than he does in this, but why include him in this just because he was in that? Who knows? But it's still a really fun film to watch. And the animation, of course, is absolutely beautiful. For that alone, I would give it just a 4 out of 5. So overall, this is going to get the rare 5 out of 5 Milk Bears. So it's something that I love. And I really went back and I thought, I don't know if I can actually give it such a high rating. Maybe it's not what I remember. Maybe if I delve more into it, it's going to be harder to review. And honestly, this was a very hard film to review. I didn't know how I was going to go through it, how the audio would work. Uh, the fact that I had technical problems with fucking Hulu and getting the audio from that and I was able to find a secondary source, it's, it was something that when I was watching it, I wasn't writing notes because I was so, like, engrossed in watching the film, like, and I just realized, I'm like, I know that 
it had a big impact and I didn't realize like how big of an impact it had on me when I was a kid. And, and I know that you guys probably were thinking, oh, in the beginning, oh, you just can give it a five out of five because you're already fucking gushing on it. It's rare that I do this. Uh, and I really save it for the films that still affect me today as they affected me before. Or if it's something that's new that's come out that's super, like, has really affected me and it turned out to be just a beautiful film... It'll get that rating. It's rare that you do, uh, but this film does. It truly does. It's not just a nostalgic, like, glass eye that I've got watching over this film because, you know, I have to bring that out every once in a while, but it is definitely because it is a high piece of cinematic excellence, and I think everybody needs to see this film at least once. Even if you don't like anime, just watch it. Just please, like, do me a favor and watch this film. And I'm pretty sure whether or not you like anime, you should. You, I believe that you will enjoy this film. If you don't and you just you can't bring yourself to do it, there was a video that was posted on my Facebook page as well as the Twitter that kind of explains the you know the importance of Akira and the history of Akira. It's about a 27-minute watch. Watch it, because then you'll get a better understanding of where I'm also coming from this film and what I really enjoyed. And the guy really went in depth in things that I had no idea about. That, uh, And he does such an excellent job in just bringing that to life. So I'll put it in the comments, not the comments, but the uh, notes of the show as well. I'll put a link directly to the YouTube video, so you guys should all check that thing out. And I remember watching that one when it first came out, and it had something like 10,000 views, and now it's got like one point something million or something, I don't know. It's something ridiculous, um, but it's such a wonderful video at the same time. Um, so with that being said, and me gushing over Akira and really enjoying doing this, we're going to move away from anime, and I said that I'd do some films that are more recent. Um, and I'm going to do one that is going to be a special episode, um, and I've got to figure out some time to record it, but that's not going to be the next episode, uh, because we're going to have a special guest for that one, and it's, uh, it's more of a short film, let's say, that involves, uh, you know, officers of some bony nature, um, that we're going to talk about with one of the stars of the film, uh, and we'll, we'll have that available for you either as a bonus episode or, uh, you know, just as a regular episode. I haven't decided which way we're going to go with that, but that should be a lot of fun. But for the next film, there's a film I've been wanting to see for quite some time and I was finally able to find it. Uh, it seems like it's starting to gain a little bit of pop popularity and, uh, whether it is, whether you've seen it or not, um, you know, this might be fun for everybody. And I've decided to go with a horror comedy uh, for the first time. I don't think I've done anything... I mean, I think done stuff that are maybe considered comedies, but really weren't. They took themselves seriously in some like areas. But uh, this is from 2015, and the film is called The Final Girls. Let's listen to the trailer. <laughs> Bloodbath is the granddaddy of all campsite slasher films. Max's mom plays Nancy, this shy girl next door. Nice legs. What time they open? It's cool you get to remember your mom this way. At least I get to see her on the anniversary of her death, even if she is being chased by a psycho. 
Guys, somebody's coming. Hey, do you guys know the way to Camp Bluefinch? Tina! So, we're in the movie. Oh, hi. What's your name? Help me pick some strawberries? Nope, but I'll give you a hand with those melons. Talking about her boobs. Ew, writing is so bad. What is that noise? It's Billy. He's coming. Everyone who has sex in this movie dies. It's awesome. No sex. Wait, wait, wait. Selfie time. Okay. How do we get out of here? Movies like this end when the final girl kills the bad guy and the credits roll. That's all. That's the final girl. We just have to stay with her till the end of the movie. Oops. I would know where they get the hardware. I want chainsaws and big-ass knives, and I want them now. Um, guys, what's happening? Why am I colorblind? Am I having a stroke? We're in a flashback. I wonder if all this blood is just corn syrup, you know? Like, these characters are walking around with just corn syrup in their veins. Oh. No. Oh, God, that's blood. I know in the movie you're supposed to die, but that doesn't mean you have to, right? What do we do now? We fight. So that's right, we're going to be watching The Final Girls. It is available to rent on YouTube, Amazon, Vudu, um, all the other platforms that are out there. Um, it's $2.99 in most places. It's, I think it's going to be worth the rental. I really wanted to see it. It stars Tara Formiga, uh, or Tessa, or however you say her first name. Uh, most notable from uh, American Horror Story and... She was most recently in The Nun. Uh, then you got Milan Eckerman, Alexander Ludwig, Nina Dobrev, Ilya uh, uh, Shockett. Uh, I probably said that totally wrong. Thomas Middleditch, who I love, who's also from Mid uh, Silicon Valley, but he does great improv. And then Adam Devine, if you've ever seen Workaholics or I think the whatever that acapella sync pitch perfect. I think those movies he's in as well. So. Um, I realize that this episode has gone on for almost three hours. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I didn't realize it was going to be that long. But I hope you guys really enjoyed it. And uh, as always, um, the podcast that you guys should be checking out, uh, if you haven't already, I'm pretty sure a lot of people have. Uh, I'm going to plug this week, uh, or this episode, the Angry Dad podcast, because he dropped over some angry dad swag uh which i really appreciate he got some stickers got a nice t-shirt um that has fuck on the back of it <laughs> which is great um i don't think i have any t-shirts with swear words on them and now i do uh so that's gonna be the next uh family function t-shirt <laughs> let's go there uh but yeah make sure you go check out the angry dad podcast at b to the fourth power on all of your social media uh, needs. He has a really great little episode where he slipped it up only, I think, twice, uh, where he's talking about a message to, you know, to sons from their fathers. Uh, I don't have any kids, 
but that was really fucking powerful and I loved it. So you guys should go and check it out. And I see, I know he's got a lot of downloads. He's got a lot of Instagram followers and everything, but he needs more fucking views and likes on his YouTube page. So go over to his YouTube page and give him a subscribe and like a couple of his videos and tell him the terrible terror sent you. And I'd really appreciate it. Um, but he's fucking blowing up like mad and, uh, I, you know, wish him nothing but great success, uh, to continue with this stuff. Plus he's getting married soon too. So he needs all the help he can get, but <laughs> that's beside the point. Um, but with all being said, don't forget to go ahead and follow me on all your social media needs. Uh, you know, available at T underscore T underscore on Twitter, Terrible Terror Podcast, Facebook, Terrible Terror Podcast on YouTube, Terrible Terror Podcast on Instagram. YouTube will have a review of La Llorona uh, that you can go watch with Paranormal Pat and myself. With that being said, I will see you guys next time. Thank you to the Benevolent Badger for the end theme once again. And we'll see you next time for the final girls.